All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can you see it? Did you know But the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Bester. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice, at arm's length. To the line, Hughes, scores! Yes, existence, take you to the sun. First career NHL goal, Quinn Hughes makes it 1-0. Here, like I don't, I will cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and Valentine's Day. Wow, we should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores. Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air, let's go. Hello Canucks fans and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. My name is David Quadrelli and I am joined as always by the man who built the place, Chris Faber. Chris, 
What a night and what a week it's been for us. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Coming, yeah, fresh off the stream. We just came and ran down the Canucks Twitter tournament, the Warzone tournament. We didn't do very good, uh, but it was no. fun to get uh, get talking with Ryan Beach again. It's been a while since uh, we've seen him and, and even seeing him put out some tweets. You know, he left Canucks Twitter so abruptly uh, to go work for the Canucks. So, I mean, that that's cool and all. But uh, we do miss him around Canucks Twitter, so it was cool to chat with him, even if it was for you know a handful of games this week as we were kind of practicing and then uh, for the stream today as well. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, I think that may be up there for the worst games of Warzone I've ever played. Uh, I was not, you know, my head was in another place with everything going on with the planning the stream, planning, or not the stream, but planning the game and getting everybody added in. Like, it took me all week and like, you may see I wasn't very active on Twitter this week, you know, even less active than usual, but uh yeah, that was because I was planning all this, and it was a nightmare, especially since Activision made it very, very difficult. Like, people were getting kicked out, like, as soon as the game started, and I was like, what am I, like, what do I do here? Like, is there anything I can do? And I just, there wasn't anything I could have done, so I was happy with how it turned out, but yeah, I, I felt uh, I felt bad at a certain point, and it was just, yeah, it, it was a mess. But I'm glad we did it. We raised almost $2,000 for our friend Dave Nordum, who we're going to have on the show pretty soon. He said once he gets a little bit healthier and gets his voice back, he's ready to go. He wants to come on the show, and we're going to be pretty excited to talk to him. Yeah, absolutely. Super awesome to see that video of Dave coming out of the hospital. That was that was one of the, the high points of 2020 for me, and the fact that we were able to help raise some money for him was huge. But I like I saw a tweet that made a lot of sense, and, and you kind of brought it up when you are talking about the game that we played. Uh, I think it was from Phil Figs, who's a fellow uh, BCIT student as well. Um, he said Canucks Twitter really has some amazing Warzone players, and like I don't know yeah. if you were you got to watch some of like the final teams there at the end. Like those teams were nuts. So like I I think we were definitely out of our own uh, out of our element for sure. We like to pick on bots, and uh, yeah, we didn't do a great job against like the supreme Warzone leaders of of Warzone on Canucks Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I was because uh, I was texting with Jack, Jack Rathbone after. And uh, by the way, we're gonna give some thank yous out quickly because we have to. But uh, I was texting with Jack, and I was just like, "Hey, how's your team doing?" He's like, "Not our best night," and he was like, "Yeah, not not great so far." But it was it was pretty funny because yeah, for guys, you know, guys like us that don't play the game a ton, but. <laughs> I don't know, we played a lot, Chris. We should probably be better, but these guys are really good. Like, these people were really, really good. and Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. But on the note of the thank yous and everything, wanted to give a thank you to Adam Gaudet for sharing it a lot. Uh, he wasn't able to make the game. Uh, you know, I know he really wanted to, but he just couldn't make the timing work, which is, you know, that's fine. Uh, thanks to him for spreading the word. Thanks to Jack Rathbone for donating way more than he had to. Uh, it was just him and two teammates, but uh, he, you know, he donated like a hundred bucks. And there was another person. I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. Person on Twitter who donated a ton and uh, said, "Yeah, if people want to play but can't donate, then they can." And I know we had like two people who reached out and said, "Hey, I don't have a credit card," or "Hey, I can't donate." Like, is there any way I can e-transfer you? And people wanted to give, but I was just like, "Don't worry. Like, you know, it, it's okay if it's if it's just five bucks." There's Someone that donated way above and beyond. So yeah, we donated almost two thousand dollars, and just wanted to give a quick thank you to those people. Yeah, to everybody that got involved with it, whether you were donating, playing, participating in the tournament, or just sharing it, following along on Twitch, everything helped uh, get some more eyes on the GoFundMe for sure. And uh, yeah, we're just trying to make it, um, you know, trying to do 
a little bit of assistance to Dave's family. He's going to be going through a lot through this Christmas time. I can't imagine what his family's looking at right now for hospital bills, but, um, you know, if, if it helps a little bit and and it was pretty cool to see, like you mentioned, raising over $2,000, uh, in support of Dave was, is incredible. So we're super happy to see that and appreciate every single person, uh, that donated and and got involved with the fundraiser for sure. Over a hundred people in one of those games quads. Yeah, exactly. It was it was great. It was it was fantastic. And another thank you that I forgot was Luke, Luke the bartender. Uh, he was the, actually the one who gave me the idea to do this. And yeah, he he did the artwork for it, and he was there the whole every step of the way. Every time I had questions, like he did a lot of research on how to make it go smoothly. He was he was a huge help. You know, even though I was the one that kind of hosted and added everybody, like he like I definitely couldn't have done this without Luke. So another huge thank you to him. But Chris, I think it's time to hop into some Canuck stuff because we actually have some NHL news. So I think okay, before we get to the league news, Chris, the first thing is Justin Bailey got signed. That's the main thing I think we should talk about. Um, you know, just to kind of kick off our Canucks news. Um, what do you think about Justin Bailey? Because you've watched him a lot more than I do. And before you go, I'll give my take here because I watched limited Utica games and I remember you and I watched the game together right before he got called up and you know, his foot speed is, is noticeable right away. Like the guy is so fast. And I believe it was you who said that he was the fastest player, not in the NHL. And I was excited to see him play. And then he comes up to the Canucks, two-game stint, seven minutes, and then three minutes uh, in both of those games, respectively. He was on the fourth line, and I was live in attendance on one, and man, he did not look good. And I just kind of wanted to ask you about those performances in general, because like, I'm kind of curious if you think, you know, maybe because he wasn't in a top-six role and he wasn't really being tasked with scoring, which he did a ton of in Utica... Do you think maybe he just, his play style didn't work with Beagle? Because I just, you know, I saw him be late to more than a few defensive assignments. And that was kind of something that just, you know, that's kind of what stuck out right away when he played in the NHL. Yeah, well, it doesn't really seem like there is a play style that fits with Jay Beagle in today's NHL. So you can't really (laughs) knock him too much for that. Uh, But yeah, like he's... It's it's weird. There's a lot of these guys that are called like 4A prospects, right? Like Reed Boucher's got it with his scoring ability. Justin Bailey kind of has a similar way with his skating, and that's the thing that normally holds a lot of these 4A prospects um, out of the NHL and just makes them really good AHL players. Is they have a skill that's so good and so elite at the AHL level that you're like, why do they not have any success at the NHL level? And I think that there's something. There's just something that's lacking with a little bit of Bailey's game. Like, man, he is an incredible skater. Just one of, like I said, the fastest guy in the AHL. Absolutely blows by guys at the AHL level. You have to believe that that can help at the NHL for sure because that's the one thing that holds a lot of these guys back is their skating, right? But I think if you look at it, I I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what part of his game doesn't translate. I think that there's a lot of energy in Bailey's game. I think that um, if he had the speed that he has and maybe was a little bit more physical... That could be something that you could use in your fourth line. Maybe just plays a little bit more of a Tyler Mott style of game. But that's that's the thing that I think is keeping him from being an NHL player is he doesn't really have the smarts on, I guess, like defensive zone awareness maybe as, as much as a guy like Tyler Mott. Like maybe he's out of position at times in his own zone. But it's something that like I, I, I didn't really notice it at the AHL level, but I also didn't really notice it at the NHL level that it was a problem either. So I, I'm not really sure. Like the sample size at the NHL level wasn't high enough for me to really knock his game. But at the AHL level, I mean, yeah, the guy scored a ton of goals. Um, obviously, that run of games where he had three hat tricks in four games was incredible to watch. Uh, I remember when that started heating up. It was insane to watch all those AHL games. But 
just, yeah, something about the game transitioning from the AHL to the NHL has been a problem. He's a guy who can bounce around, and he's a great player to have call up. He's a guy that seems like he should fit on a taxi squad, and I know we'll get to that uh, a little bit here as that's kind of been announced as well. But he feels like a forward who's, you know, a really good guy to have as kind of like a 14th, 15th forward in your organization because he does have that one incredibly gifted skill of how fast he is of a skater so like there's a spot for that and maybe you can work that into the lineup at some point but you mentioned like a top six role um i don't really see that being the spot for him in a canucks lineup but i do think there's a spot for him potentially maybe alongside an adam Gaudet, who might bring a little bit more of an offense to that line and we'll see if he can kill penalties as well because that would be huge for the canucks to add a speedster like that on the penalty kill yeah, you're absolutely right, and I think that's the main thing, is when we look at what the deficiency is, I didn't watch him enough at the AHL level, but all I can tell you from my viewing of him in that NHL game was just, he was too late to every defensive assignment, he just looked lost out there, so I would say that's the main thing that I saw, but again, I have not watched him like you have, haven't watched him nearly enough to make that a big, you know, that's not my that's not a good scouting report on Bailey, that's just what I saw in a very limited viewing, but Something you mentioned there that I think segues perfectly into what we should talk about next is the taxi squad. And I think Justin Bailey's a guy that actually is really good for a taxi squad. Like, he's kind of the ideal guy for a taxi squad, right? And I'm just reading through because Frank Saravalli put a big report out. So this is the part of the show where I look stuff up while we're recording. Yeah, um, well, you but, looked that up. Can I say Can I say something that we didn't talk about at all yet? We have oh, like a absolutely. bunch of... So we have like four interviews on this episode that you guys will be hearing. Oh, um, you haven't introduced any of them yet, Quads. I don't. You're the host. If you want to go ahead and get into no, that, this is you do it. Okay you do time. it. I'm going to read. Okay. Well, you're doing your Quads reads while podcasting segment. Um, I'll talk about the four guests that we have on the show. Quads, you sat down with Kevin Woodley, talked a bunch about goaltending as you love to do. Uh, I thank Kevin Woodley for lending an ear to you, so I don't have to do it here on the podcast <laughs> as we talk goaltenders. So you guys can tune in for a full conversation with Woodley that Quads had. Um, and then I, yeah, I got on the phones, started talking to some prospects, and I got uh, three interviews of Canucks prospects. We talked to Brogan Rafferty. That's going to be an awesome conversation for you guys to hear. Um, he's very excited to get into camp. Aiden McDonough, who's now playing games in the NCAA with Northeastern. They have a big weekend coming up this week against a ranked team, and we get into his season and how his his outlook of the year is looking now as a as a sophomore instead of a freshman. And then we wrap things up with Jack Malone, who really is, is in a really interesting situation as a Canucks prospect because he's a guy who played a year of NCAA hockey as a 19-year-old and then now is returned to the USHL because his season got canceled at Cornell University. And he's actually returned to the USHL with the same billet family on the same team, uh, just with different line mates now. So he's set to kind of have a really big year in the USHL level. And we kind of discussed that in our conversation. So four interviews this episode coming up. Kevin Woodley, Jack Malone, Aiden McDonough, and Brogan Rafferty. Uh, that's how you host an episode, Quads. Great job. I'm just compiling everything that I need. So, Okay. There's taxi squads. There's going to be six people on a taxi squad, it looks like. Okay, and for those that don't know what a taxi squad is, it is a group of players that travel around with the team. They're kind of like who you would call up in the event of an injury. And, you know, it's like, if, if, if I had to give an example of past years, Chris, I don't know, you could probably help me with this, but I'd say like last year or two years ago, the taxi squad would have been like guys like Ashton Sautner, uh, Luke Shen... Um, help me out. Who else was in the minors? I'm just trying to name guys that are kind of like uh, bubble like players. Jason Magna. 
was yeah. a good example, even though he worked his way to the top six. Well, yeah, um, I didn't say first line players. I said bubble players, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Reed Boucher could be considered that. Like he'd be a guy yeah. who might be bouncing around a little bit. Um, you know, some of the other players, uh, Darren Archibald might be a good example. He was a guy who got a little bit of a run with the Canucks. Like if it was a yeah. couple of years ago, he'd probably be a part of that taxi squad as well. Exactly. Um, Players like um, that that are just kind of like it's funny we talked about it earlier as a quad A player. This is kind of that like these are the quad A players or prospects that you kind of want to keep around the team. And I find that's going to be the interesting situation about it is like how many of these four to six players are going to just be prospects. Like is Niels Huglander one of them? Is Jack Rathbone one of them? Or are they wanting them to go back and play games in the AHL or over in Sweden? Right. Like that's the interesting spot for me on how the Canucks want to use this taxi squad. And. If they don't play a game, does it count as a professional season? Because in a regular year, it doesn't count. So if they're just traveling with the team and practicing and never play a game, like, it doesn't count as a professional season. And that matters, especially when you have an expansion draft coming up. So does Seattle say, well, hold on a minute, we should have been able to get so-and-so, or we should have been able to get this guy, but they never played a game last year, so now they don't qualify for the expansion draft. Like, are we going to team see, see, sorry, are we going to see teams circumvent that and kind of, you know, maybe we'll keep this guy on the taxi squad and, you know, not use a year. So with that in mind, like even a guy like Nils Hoglander, like what if he doesn't play a game? He's, he's still under contract and it's like, I don't know, man. I, I think the tax. Oh, is he going to be 20? Yes, he is 20. Okay. So I think it's people over 20 or is it 21? I'm not sure. I, I should look it up while we're recording like I always do. But I think 20... Yes, here it is. Okay. 20 plus year old players need at least one pro game in order to earn a pro season. This is notable for players who are one year away from expansion draft eligibility. This is from Cap Friendly, by the way. So I'm interested to see because what happens with these guys who are on the taxi squad but never actually play a game? And yeah, it, it just... It's interesting to me, Chris, because I think, you know, if there was one last year, Brogan Rafferty would have been on the taxi squad and he wouldn't have played a game. So do you then, you know, what happens with Rafferty's contract and like, how does that all work? So I'm really interested to see what happens. And as we kind of noted here is this is a very fluid situation. Nothing is set in stone, especially the taxi squad stuff. And yeah, I mean, if you don't have anything else to add on the taxi squad, we can move right along in the news here. Well, what do you think's a better spot for a guy? Like, I, I think of Niels Huglander and Jack Rathbone as the two of, like, I think that there are some pros to having them be on the taxi squad, even if they're not playing in a lot of games. But I do see the cons of them not playing actual hockey games being something that can hurt them. But if you're practicing with scouts and getting that much practice time with the best coaching staff that you can have, I really think that there's a lot to gain for both of those players there. So, like, where do you sit on that with Jack Rathbone, you know, going to the AHL to play hockey versus him being practicing with a taxi squad and potentially just getting games when injuries occur? I kind of like him on a taxi squad, man. And I don't want to speak for Jack because I did ask him about this in last week's interview. And he just basically said, no, I'm not thinking about any of that. Like, my goal is to make the team out of camp. So I think a taxi squad makes sense. Like, for a guy like him who's so good at skating and just you're not really too worried about, you you know, like, here's the thing, Chris, is defending at the NHL level is a different beast than defending at the AHL level, right? So... I get that they'd want to get him get him in games, but it's like, you know, the Canucks are pretty confident in this kid. And I'm 
I'm I'm starting to think that maybe there's a chance that he's on the taxi squad to start the year, and then you know if there's an injury, he's right there and he's ready to be plugged in. And especially if that injury's in your top top four, Chris, like man, if Quinn Hughes goes down, Rathbone can go in and fill that spot and provide a very similar skill set to Hughes. You know, if they go with a guy like Ulevi or Sautner, that's a significant drop off from a pure puck transitioning, uh, puck moving standpoint, and that's something the Canucks need to get better at, not worse. So it, it, it's a double edged sword almost. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to decide where you want a young prospect like this to go. But I'd say for both of these guys, these two high end prospects, it's it's got to be the taxi squad. And I mean, before you know, you you can you can talk here before we wrap up on taxi squads. I want to talk a bit about goaltenders, but uh, I'll hold off for now. Jeez, okay, um, yeah, I I wouldn't like. I actually really like the idea of Huglander being on the taxi squad compared to him going back to the SHL. I think, yeah, like it would be great for Niels Huglander to be in the SHL, be putting up a point per game and having a great season and building confidence. Like that's the plus of him going back to Sweden and playing. Right, he's playing games. He's in a top six role. His coaching staff knows him. But you know what? This is his third season in the SHL. Right, like it feels like as a twenty year old, all that he's accomplished, all that he looks like he's able to do on the ice. I think that having Huglander on the taxi squad is the right move for him as well, uh, which is going to be interesting because, like we said, only four to six spots on that taxi squad, 23-man rosters, I believe, so you can get up to 29 players. Like, if you were to, like, this is going to be a fun experiment, actually, and probably an article for Canucks Army uh, pretty soon, but, like, putting together the 29-man roster um, is definitely something that we have to look at. And I like the idea of having him around because it's similar to what you said with Rathbone in the way that I look at it with Huglander is, what if a guy goes down in the top six, right? Like, what if it's JT Miller, right? Like, what if JT Miller's just down yeah. for, say, two weeks? Say it's, a you know, some sort of little hand injury he's out for two weeks. Maybe that's the chance where you get to see what Huglander looks like on Pedersen's wing, right? Like, that's a stretch where you can just give yeah. him some time. You change the look because I know that it's something that we're probably going to see this year is the Pedersen line going up against other teams' top lines. I know it's something you're super into as well. And we'll probably mm-hmm. see that. But, it, man, like, maybe you change the game plan a little bit and try and play him against some weaker competition or maybe in different matchup roles and that's when you get to see a chance of a Huglander playing with a Pedersen to see if maybe there's just some instant chemistry there with those guys and how creative they both are on the ice and you you can't do that if he's over in Sweden playing in the SHL so I think that there's a lot to gain on both sides but as an NHL player I think that there's NHL games for Niels Huglander to play this year I don't know if it's coming immediately out of training camp I think it is going to be like I'm I know that there's a lot of hype over Huglander right now, but I do think that with him already being so warmed up 23 games into his SHL season, plus preseason, plus a training camp already under his belt, he's coming in fresh and ready to go. Like a lot of these guys have not been playing at high level hockey or practicing at high level hockey. Huglander's been doing it, man. Like he is ready to go for training camp. I think the first three days, he's just going to be one of the guys who sticks out as like a fresh player, sticks out like a sore thumb at this training camp. And I think from there, he just tries to gain a spot after all this positive momentum going his way so I think that the taxi squad is a good idea for some of these prospects but I'm curious to see if the Canucks want to go that route or if they want to go in the route of Justin Bailey's Nash and Sautner's of guys who are probably more NHL ready but like what's their NHL potential compared to some of the other guys that they could use in this situation so that's going to be a fun story to follow at camp specifically with no preseason games like the roster that 29 man roster is going to be discussed like dis- like decided from what you see at training camp and Jack Rathbone and Niels Huglander are guys that show very well in a training camp situation so I do think that both those guys have 
definitely a good chance of making that taxi squad, if not cracking the Canucks right out of camp. Okay, now I'm going to talk about goaltenders. Um, right, I'll, I'll mute my mic. Can, can we put Woodley's interview first on the episode? Because I want to talk about it and then send to it. Because I, I have some things to say. Um, Do it. So with the taxi squad... We talk about Michael DiPietro a lot. A lot of people know how high I am on him and how I think he's going to be just fine at the NHL level. Uh, I wrote a lot about him. People have probably read it at this point, but he has exceptional crease awareness, and I don't think I've ever seen a young goaltender uh, as quick as him when it comes to knowing where he is in his crease and figuring out how far out he needs to be and how quickly he needs to get back. Uh, I talked about it a bit with Kevin Woodley, but one thing I wanted to kind of touch on is with the taxi squad, I am fully on board with Michael DiPietro being with the Canucks. Uh, A lot of people would say, oh no, he needs to play AHL games. I, aside from the fact that I feel like the AHL is going to have a COVID outbreak and he's just going to be off anyway, I am pretty confident that because he had such a strong first season in the AHL and showed so well, this is a rare opportunity for him to get some real reps in with Ian Clark and practicing every day with the big club and getting to work with Ian Clark and getting Ian's Ian's tricks kind of instilled in him, that's really helpful for DiPietro. And it wouldn't surprise me if Ian Clark feels the same way and that he'd like to get his hands on him sooner rather than later, especially when there's real potential that Holtby's gone after next season uh, due to the expansion draft, of course. But, you know, when when you start to look at the long-term outlook here and that DiPietro might need to play less time in Utica than Thatcher Demko did, uh, you have to start to wonder, like, Ian Clark probably wants to instill his values in him sooner rather than later and let him start to work on that. So, I don't know, like, I'm I'm fully on board with DiPietro being on the taxi squad rather than getting in games. I think it's, it'd be ben- more beneficial for him uh, to be working with Ian Clark every single day, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. I like the idea of... That's why the taxi squad can be so beneficial for the Vancouver Canucks is the situation they have with their goaltenders as well. I mean, you can potentially call him up uh, Mikey DiPietro who we're talking about here you could potentially call him up to be a part of that team then you look down at what they have at the AHL level um, they'll have Jake Kylie down there um, Archer Silos I believe is going to be coming back yep. from alone right like he's going to be yep. participating with them he, let, I think so. let's not forget Silos is 19 years old okay let's not forget that like this kid has a pretty bright future specifically if he can get into AHL games this year in an AHL that's going to be hurting like this AHL that we're about to see this year if I thought the AHL hockey was bad at times last year what I'm about to see this year is going to be uh, a very different sport um, and I think that that's a good spot for Silos to potentially be in um, so I think that I like the idea of you know maybe you are swapping guys like DiPietro and Silos in into that taxi squad and sending them back to the HL to play games because like you said you know get as much time with Ian Clark as possible right like that's what you'd like to see yeah. when Ian Clark went down to work with Mikey DiPietro after that time last year in the AHL season DiPietro was the starter after that so you got to wonder what Ian Clark said to the organization and Ryan Johnson, who he works closely with over there, like, hey, it's time now. Like, make DiPietro the starter. We worked on these things. This is what we want to see the rest of the year. And then we saw that. We saw a great production from DiPietro in the second half of the AHL season. And I think a lot of that to do, a lot of that was to do with that one weekend that he spent, not even with the team, right? Like, he wasn't even playing games. He wasn't suiting up as the backup. He was just working with Ian Clark. So I think that that's a great spot for them to use Silos and DiPietro. Um, and by the way, pr- pronounce Silos for me. You pronounce it differently. Silovs. It's Silovs. 
Salavs. I don't like that. I'm going to call him Silos. Um, so Silos <laughs> is my guy. Uh, I like him, 19 years old. If you can swap those two, a 21-year-old and a 19-year-old, swap around getting extra time facing guys that are close to NHL players' shots in practice and getting time with Ian Clark, like, dude, sign me the hell up. That sounds like a great spot to be in for these guys. I know that the travel is going to make it difficult because they're going to be down in the States two-week quarantine. Like, I'm not really sure how that's going to work. Um, But that's definitely something that we can kind of look to, I guess, when it comes about. But I do like the idea. Like, the potential is there for them to get a hell of a lot of work with with Ian Clark. And I think that's a great thing for any goaltender. Dude, that was one weekend, too. Like, that was not a long time for DiPietro to work with Clark. Exactly. that's all it took. That's all it took, man. And It was a a long weekend, though. Just so you know. Okay, sure. It was a long weekend. Sorry. But imagine what could happen now that DiPietro has worked on that stuff, has had success at the AHL level, and... Now he's going to be with him for a full season. Like, that should excite Canucks fans. And I think you're going to see more and more people kind of, as they listen to this, like, I think your gut reaction, your knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, no, he's young. He needs more seasoning at the AHL level. He's only had one season. But, man, this is a rare opportunity for him to get some real reps in with Ian Clark while not having to be worried about being thrust into a backup position if the starter goes down. Like, he's going to be, or sorry, thrust into a starting position. You know what I mean? What's that? Okay. No, I'm not. I didn't get that. <laughs> I'm gonna. Right. I'm gonna throw to Woodley now. Yeah, I was trying I'm to go all radio. This. I was going all radio on you there with the producer. You sit in the chair and you say, "Go throw to Woodley," and you're supposed to pick it up and say, "Okay, I'm throwing to Woodley." Well, I'm still talking about goalies. All right. Well, I thought you were throwing to Woodley from it. I think I'm done, whatever, I'll throw to Woodley. You were using the talkback button that we don't have. Anyway, Mr. Producer over here. Um, We're going to throw to Kevin Woodley now. You'll hear from some sponsors in between each interview. But we have Kevin Woodley, Brogan Rafferty, who else, Chris? (laughs) Jack Malone and Aiden McDonough. Beautiful, wonderful. You are listening to the Canucks Conversation. Oh man, that fell apart real bad. And before we go any further in the episode, just want to give a quick shout out to the returning sponsor of the Canucks Conversation podcast. That's Parallel 49 Beer back on board for another winter season here. Be sure to check out some of their brand new winter beers that have just come out. The one that is on the shelf right now, and I highly recommend trying, even though I haven't tried it yet. It just sounds really cool, is a new jelly donut beer that they have coming out. It is already on shelves in BC and Alberta. Go check it out at your closest BC liquor store for all of your British Columbian out there and i'm gonna go definitely try mine this weekend and i'm gonna get uh, a review on the show about the jelly donut ale uh, which i'm very excited for so be sure to follow them along at parallel 49 beer on all of your social medias all right guys very pleased to be joined now by the goaltending guru himself kevin woodley kevin how you doing today good good and hey it's been eight months since anybody's actually seen me play a game so we could actually maybe even use that lo- that label that guru thing even I, though it's total bs i think nobody's actually seen how bad i really am so we can just pretend i introduce you like that every time because every time i do you uh make a comment about your beer league teammates laughing at that anytime they would hear that so i like i like to introduce you that way but you know, we bring you on to talk about goaltending. It's usually just me because Faber doesn't really care about goaltenders as much as I do, but I love hearing about goaltenders. And I think, you know, we have had some pretty good conversations in the past. So hopefully we'll do that again today. A little tight for time, but I think, I think we'll get everything in. So the first thing I want to talk about, Kevin, is with the goaltending teams that are coming out. You, you saw Florida uh, with Longo and uh, all, all of them down there. You know, 
I heard you today talking about the potential for the Canucks and how it probably won't happen because the Canucks just aren't looking to spend right now. So I'm wondering if you could kind of touch on what it means to have a goaltending department like that and kind of, you know, what it means if the Canucks don't have one. Well, and, and credit to, to the franchise and the Aquilinis. I mean, we're in different terms now, and I don't think it's a secret. We've heard it in regards to coaching contracts and some of the you know, player moves they've made in terms of not wanting to spend in the middle of a pandemic with no money coming in. But they actually were one of the first to spend on a director of goaltending. They were second. Um, this position started with, or at least in, in this sort of existence as, as the, the head of a multi-tiered department, started with Mitch Korn and the Washington Capitals, and they won a cup with Braden Holpe in 2017-2018. Well, the next summer, it was Dan Cloutier who moved into the director role and convinced them to hire Ian Clark underneath him as an NHL goaltending coach. Now, it only lasted one year before, before Dan left, um, but there's a sign there of a willingness to spend, at least in the past under regular circumstances, and at a level um, above what other teams were spending, and at a time ahead of anybody else doing that spending. So you do have to give the Canucks credit there um, in terms of having had this type of department before. In terms of what it means, I mean, it's a positive. Anytime you have, you have more voices um, with a common goal and an open dialogue, uh, I think it is a positive. What the Florida Panthers did, what the Arizona Coyotes did in September, it seems to have gotten overlooked today by many. Um, with the Calgary announcement, everybody looks at Florida last week, but the Coyotes were actually ahead of this as well earlier in, in, you know, in this offseason. So it's a positive. But it also doesn't mean that you have to have it to have success in goaltending. Um, you know, Ian Clark's a very strong voice um, and a guy who has produced a lot of sort of almost, for lack of a better term, manuals on sort of how to do this. Like he has a, I believe he's got a 50-page manual on, on what this looks like, what a department looks like. I believe he's got sort of guidelines for how you would do this. I believe he's got guidelines that help scouts who don't know goaltending uh, as much as the department in, involves in a lot of cases, this is one of the areas that the Panthers will be expanding and that other teams have already expanded, more goalie scouts, position-specific scouts. Clark has built a reputation as being able to sort of help an organization's scouting staff non-goaltending department figure out what to look for, help them find the attributes they want in goaltenders. Um, the irony is Florida basically created a department that is designed to never have to need to spend or overspend to fix a goaltending problem like they did with Bobrovsky. And Clark was a big part of the structure that allowed Columbus to be on the other end of that decision in allowing Bobrovsky to leave because they built a department and built a depth chart so deep that they knew they had Merzlikens and Corpusalo ready to come up. And in fact, it's so deep that they were putting, that they had both those guys on the market this summer and were willing to move one or the other because even behind that, they've got three more yeah. high, high end prospects. So you don't, you know, and, and Ian Clark was a part of that. So if Canucks fans are like, why aren't we spending? Why can't we have a goalie department? Oh my God, Calgary's moved ahead of us because they've got a goalie department. The reality is um, the guy you've got in charge right now has had similar success without the need for all these extra positions. And, you know, again, he might even argue that, 
I don't need three or four people to do this. Hmm. Now, to, that's, to be frank. that's interesting because here's the thing is a lot of people are talking about Travis Green and how he doesn't have a contract, but another guy who doesn't have a contract is Ian Clark. Now, from your perspective, at what point should Canucks fans start to worry about, okay, like maybe they're just not going to extend this guy. Maybe he's not coming back. I would say, I, you know what? I don't know because everything's changed with the pandemic. Fair. Right? Like, so you could point to, like, it was easy to point to a certain time in Columbus um, and, um, you know, like, hey, the, the, uh, in Columbus, uh, it got late in the season. They hadn't talked to him. By the time they came back to him, he'd already moved on, like quite literally sold his house. So, um, but I don't think those, I don't know that those timelines necessarily apply yeah. here. I would cer- certainly recommend doing it sooner rather than later. Um, but we've seen obviously with the announcement in Florida, I think, you know, I'm not the first to draw the line between Clark and Florida uh, because of the relationships with Bob, but also yeah. because that's where his home was. Um, but that's not happening, right? Like they've filled their department. They've got one through four ready to go there. Um, you know, they've added a layer. They've got Luongo. They've got Leo Luongo. And by the way, anyone who says that's nepotism needs to give their head a shake and have a look at the track record that Leo has built. And that's not just me saying that or looking at that track record myself. The New Jersey Devils almost hired him as their head goaltending coach in the NHL this year. Uh, he was basically runner-up to the guy they hired who had a relationship already with Marty Berdur. So he's a legit coach um, who's capable of working at the NHL level, and they're lucky to have him still at the AHL and development level in Florida. Um, but as far as Clark goes, yeah, no, I don't, you know, I, I don't know what that timeline is. I do know that sooner is better than later. I would, think that there's probably some understanding of the circumstances on his part in terms of what this pandemic means. Um, but again, this is a guy who has moved on when he felt disrespected before, when he felt that he wasn't being afforded, you know, sort of that respect should diff, maybe not the right word, but yep. you know, it wasn't being taken care of in due time and in, in a respectful manner in, in the time that, you know, the position should warrant. And so you do sort of, worry about it dragging on and yet I do think he understands that the way this organization has done things it's it's the head coach first before you take care of the guys below him uh and so until Travis Green has a contract um I I I don't know that there's any expectation for it being any different than that but at the same time I don't know you, you see the success that that, yeah. that he's had here and elsewhere why the hell would you let that drag on yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, the same can almost be said for Travis because there's a lot of people kind of starting to scratch their head. And, you know, this is going to be a story going into training camp. And I think people are quickly going to be talking about Ian Clark almost just as much as they are Travis Green when it comes to getting a contract. But that's the head coach, right? And, you know, one thing I want to ask you about is last time Travis was extended, they also extended Clark's contract along with Travis at the same time. Do you think that's something we see or do you think it's, you know, get Travis done and then they're going to worry about Clark after? Or do you think they'll do it at the same time? I'd have to check my nose to see what the timelines were on that, to be honest with you. Um, Ian's contract was originally supposed to expire after last season, and he got a one-year extension on it. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm guessing that was to match Travis, but I can't remember what Travis's terms were. Like, he didn't just sign a one-year extension, did he? That was – no. he had an extension before that. So Ian's contract wasn't that long – but it was extended last year to match. Yes. Travis's. Yes. Okay. So yeah. A little bit different. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, now we're going to shift to the goaltending with the team now. Okay, they will lose Jacob Markstrom. You and I have talked a lot about how there's nobody better in the league at def- at uh, at stopping east-west movement and everything like that with Jacob Markstrom. But now they have Holtby and Demko. You know, you and I talked about it. Demko in the playoffs, you know, they had they had some defense finally. But I think one problem with that, and I don't know, maybe you see the same thing, is like the Canucks really couldn't get out of their zone when they were defending like they were in front of Demko. And I just think that's not sustainable over a full season. So, uh, you know, when we talk about like, you know, stopping East-West movement like the Canucks defense did in front of Demko against Vegas and keeping shots to the outside, do you, do you think that's sustainable for one over a full season? And if it's not sustainable, do you think Demko can bail them out? It's mm, uh, a good question. I don't really have the answer. I'm not sure. Like, I'm not, I'm not sh- I don't envision them playing the same way um you know even if like like again like what your forwards do matter everybody points to the defense I would think that they will would be better at transitioning out of their own zone courtesy of of some of the changes they've made in terms of adding Schmidt um but again like like how you defend and and how often you get pinned the way they often did against Vegas like like you're not getting overmatched the way they were against Vegas, frankly, on a night in night out basis during a regular season. You're not getting also that attention to detail defensively um, that they had from their own players, including their forwards, probably during that. um, I mean, that's going to be Travis's big job is we got them to buy into playing better overall as a five man unit during the bubble. Can we get that buy in over an extended period of time during a season? Because it's sometimes easier to narrow the focus for a short window than it is for a full year. And, you know, maybe in some ways this, this sort of abbreviated season makes that easier to continue. But I, I don't know that, like, it's not necessarily a one or the other, if that makes sense. Yep, There's absolutely. obviously going to be a balance between the two. Like, like to me, the chances that, that they give up in part were, you know, earlier in that series, they were giving up, they were give, turning the puck over and giving up a lot of odd man rushes to Vegas. Well, not turning the puck over and not giving up odd man rushes shouldn't automatically equate to being pinned in your own zone as often as they were. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not a direct correlation one to the other. So it's not a matter of, you know, if they do this, they're going to, if they play better defensively, they're going to be stuck in their own end the whole time. If that makes sense. I don't necessarily, yeah. you can have a little of column A and a little of column B and, uh, frankly, it's Travis's job to sort of find that balance point for this group. Another job Travis is going to have largely is picking a starter for opening night. Now, I know a lot of it's going to depend on training camp, but I kind of envision it like it's Holtby's job to lose heading into training camp. Would you agree with that? Oh, I honestly don't know. I think it was, it's going to be really interesting. I would say this. I think that in terms of what Ink Clark teaches and some of the things um, th- that he stresses, um, it is it is probably Thatcher Demko who is ahead of Braden Holpe at this point. Hmm. Um, having been here, having taken the steps he took in the playoffs, having understand understood those things and worked on them for you know as long as Ian's been here, and Braden just arriving in the past couple of weeks and starting his work on those things. Now those things aren't you know they don't. Again, they don't equate directly to success all on their own. Like Braden had success at times doing things differently. 
but he's in the process of adding a lot of these elements. And as I understand it, pretty excited about it, which bodes well for the long term. But as much as people want to say because of experience, Braden's the guy, in terms of having had conversations with Ian about where each goalie is at with the things that he stresses, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the other way, that it's hmm. Thatcher Demko that's a little ahead of the curve. And don't forget, we're not going to have a preseason. So in terms of Braden Holpe building up communication with the guys in front of him and getting comfortable with the guys in front of him, being on the same page, knowing where guys are going to go uh, on, on terms of leaves and passing the puck behind your own net when, you're, when you stop a, a dump in and setups like that, like those are all things he's going to have to adjust to on the fly that are already built in for Thatcher. So short of Thatcher stubbing his toe early, I actually wouldn't be surprised if it's the other way around. That said, I have never seen a goaltender, and I'm not alone because I've had this conversation with his other coaches um, in Washington, including Mitch Korn. I've never seen a goaltender who can make changes and adjust what his body does in terms of trying to change the way he plays as fast as Braden Holtby. Um, When I got an opportunity to sort of be on the ice and watch some guys uh, working with Braden, I was blown away at his ability to adapt on the fly. And it's kind of a property that a lot of the elite goaltenders have an ability, Mm. not just an ability, but a willingness to make changes like that. And Braden definitely has it. So if Thatcher's ahead of the curve right now with Ian, uh, I don't know that it's going to take that long for Braden to catch up. Is January 13th, uh, you know, a little optimistic? Yeah, maybe not. And maybe, maybe, maybe I got a different answer to your question about who's ahead of who um, by the time we drop the puck on the season. But for now, I actually wouldn't be surprised if it's a little more of Demko. At the end of the day, if it's condensed, you're going to need them both and probably one yeah. more. So uh, it's probably a good thing that they're both going to get to that stage uh, relatively quickly. And that's a perfect segue into my next question. I'm, I'm just kind of wondering if I can get your thoughts on what you think the split is going to look like. Do you think it's going to be almost like a 1A, 1B situation? Um, I honestly don't know because it's going to depend. Like, again, like we're looking at a year that is unlike any other, frankly. Yeah. And we're looking at a schedule and we're coming off sort of weird things in terms of what this all looks like. Um, and, you know, like, I think it's going to be performance dictated. I really do. Like this, you know, um, as much as you're going to need to play both, you're also going to need both to play well because there is, there's no margin for error, like especially out of the gate. Like slow start, and this is the one good thing about Travis Green teams is they've always had good starts. They've been yeah. a great starting team. But you can't afford a slow start this year. Like, you can't afford to have a bad first half because <laughs> a few games later after the half, it's over, right? Like we're, you know, 56 comes in a hurry. So, you know, I, I don't think you're going to be able to let guys play through things. I think that, you know, performance will dictate it. Uh, the need to rest will make sure that you never go too long with just one guy. You don't ride a horse like maybe they have with Jacob Markstrom in the past as hard as they have with Jacob Markstrom mm-hmm. in the past. But at the same time, like, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're going to need, you're, you're going to go with a hot hand to an extent, right? Like you can't have one guy struggle and be like, ah, well, we got to rest the other guy. So I, I, so really, I'm sorry, the fence is like, I think I hurt my ass. I'm sitting so hard on this fence, but I really don't have an answer. And I think if they were honest, they probably don't either. 
They probably don't know what this split is going to look like. Is it probably going to be close to 50-50? Yes. But again, performance and health is going to dictate how, how, you know, how much one side or the other it leans. Kevin, insightful as always. And before we wrap up here, I want to get your thoughts on one prospect that we've talked about before. Uh, I just I wanted to kind of express some thoughts that I had on Mikey DiPietro because I was doing the uh, the prospect profile for him for Canucks Army, and I was just watching a bunch of tape and just you know kind of going over trying to watch what he does when the puck's being cycled around in the zone. And one thing I saw is kind of you know as a bit of a smaller goaltender, he's not that small, but as a bit of a smaller goaltender, he obviously comes out pretty far and. I've seen that aggressiveness from him. And, you know, one thing I've kind of noticed is that sometimes he does it when he doesn't really need to, and it, it almost leaves him open for a backdoor tap in. But one thing that I really saw with him in, in saying that is uh, his, his crease awareness, like his positional awareness is crazy. Like the way he's able to just get back and, and move up and back in the crease is just, you know, it, it was something I really took note of. And I'm just wondering if you could, you know, kind of talk about what you think of Mikey DiPietro. Well, You've actually probably watched him more than I have, to be honest, uh, in terms of the games last year. But in talking with the staff and, and with the goalie staff, like his season was very, very, very impressive. I'm not surprised um, that he that you're you're seeing him think the game well because that's always been a strength of his. The adjustments he's made in terms of his stance, his setup, and his technique as a result of that stance and setup. Um, have you know we talked about Holpe adjusting quickly? Um, that's something that Michael DiPietro has done well. It's a process that started in junior. We saw it at the World Junior Championships. Frankly, um, you know, wasn't on him. Um, he was really good in in that tournament. Frankly, he was really good in the the brief time he got in against the Vegas Golden Knights this yeah. past season. I really impressed with Mikey. I'm I'm not surprised that he you know, that he, that he makes those adjustments well in what you're seeing because he thinks the game so well, because he adjusts and reads the game so well. And quite often that's a difference maker for a goaltender. So I know they were blown away by how good he was. I'm really curious to see what the options are for teams um, coming, you know, into this season in terms of carrying a third goalie. I think in a perfect world, you probably want Michael DiPietro playing um, a lot of games in the American Hockey League, even if he might be your best option as a call-up. Obviously, the border could prevent that. So I'm curious to see where they go on that. Um, I think it's quite possible, as much as I used to speculate, that they would have to sign a number three goaltender. Uh, You know, a guy like Ian Clark probably would rather work with a young prospect uh, than, you know, try and teach an old dog new tricks, like, say, a a Louis Domingue, and and sort of have – you know, some limits in, in what that upside might be. So whether it's Di Pietro in the American Hockey League and, and a guy like Siloff potentially here um, versus signing a number three, I, I could see that going either way. And I wouldn't be surprised if they go that way instead of, you know, just going out and grabbing a guy who has experience but might not have the same upside. I mean, the the bonus potentially here is you could take a prospect and give him not unlimited, but a boatload of time with Ian Clark. And yeah. I mean, Clearly, I'm a fan, so you know I think that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Kevin, well, it's been fun. As always, thank you so much for taking the time, and have a great rest of your week. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate uh, appreciate the time and the patience, and anybody who's willing to listen to me ramble on is uh, always a call I take. You always know I'm ready to hear you ramble on about goaltenders. <laughs> Winter is here, and hockey is just around the corner. And if there's one thing that goes absolutely perfect with hockey it's mike's hard lemonade 
It's been a classic, obviously, around the ring for people who wanted something to mix it up a little bit from their beers. I know it's a go-to sweet drink for me. And now that they have the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze, it is an absolute game changer. Blue Freeze is the go-to drink for me at a Canucks Games or at any gatherings. Once we can get back to those, that would be great. Uh, But for now, go out and try some yourself. The Mike's Hard Blue Freeze is in stores everywhere. You can find it at all liquor stores. So be sure to go out there and try one of the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. All right, guys. Joining us now, Canucks prospect on the defense core, number three in a Canucks jersey, 25 in a Utica Commons jersey, AHL defenseman, all-star last year, and the best defenseman on the Utica Comets in my eyes. Brogan Rafferty, how you doing, Brogan? Doing good, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's good to get you on. We haven't uh, spoke, I think, since the bubble. So, um, I mean, how's it been for you ever since then? It's been quite a while, as we were kind of talking about off-air. Uh, you know, what's it kind of been like for you and your fiancé going through this uh, pandemic right now in the States? Yeah, it's been interesting, uh, to say the least. I mean, everyone's going through their own stuff you know like the pandemics affected people in different ways and for me and probably for most of the players on the team like the access to you know gyms and uh, ice rinks and government shutdowns and then uh continual government shutdowns uh, uh after like a couple months of stuff it's been tough but um you know you got to make the most of it. you got to find a way to to get your training in and to get your ice skating in and all that good stuff so i'm making the most of it so a lot of people have kind of picked up skills or something new that they're doing through the pandemic i know that i've been cooking a little bit more i've tried to mix it up a little bit uh is there one thing that you've picked up or maybe your fiance has picked up during this time i can piggyback on the cooking we've been cooking quite often um and it's just kind of like a it's a nice thing to do, like go to the grocery store, get some groceries. It's, it's kind of a time killer, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it takes up a whole afternoon and um, get to feed a couple people, eat some good food. So the cooking's been big. Um, we've gone into like going for walks, going for runs, like stuff like that outside. And um, I don't know, just spending a lot of time with family and friends, which is nice. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I've uh, I've mastered, I feel like, the mashed potato recipe that I've like been working with the last little bit. Have you had one recipe that you kind of made and you're like, oh, damn, like this is the go-to now or what? Yeah, we uh, we kind of got our chicken parm recipe down. Ooh. Uh, but other than that, we really enjoy making this like creamy chicken sauce um, with like chicken thighs. And then you make uh, like a nice cheesy pea risotto with maybe some asparagus. Okay. Um, it's like kind of like an Alfredo sauce, but it has like spinach and um, <clears throat> tomato and a couple of other things in there to to spice it up a little bit and yeah. make it more interesting. But yeah, we, that's probably our our favorite recipe we've made so far. We have a lot, but I, we actually started a cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> God damn! Yeah, you're surprising me here. When you brought up risotto, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm getting pretty civilized here, making cookbooks and cooking in the kitchen three, four days a week. Wow, that's awesome. That's exciting, man. Well, uh, that's good because you might have a two-week quarantine coming up here. You might have to be cooking a lot at the home there. Yeah, I know. I, well, if I'm in the – I don't know where I'll be, either the hotel room or the apartments. But, um, yeah, either way, I've got some good cooking skills I picked up, I guess, from – That's good stuff. <laughs> what did you say about a, a cookbook you're putting together or something? Yeah, we got one for, or my fiance got one for Christmas, so we're starting to fill it up with our favorite recipes and stuff like that. Oh, right on. That's awesome. And uh, I'm curious, like, were you guys supposed to get married this September? Because I know I, I saw on your Instagram that you guys are heading back there next September for the marriage. Was that supposed to be this year? No, the plan was 2021, oh, which okay, is nice. okay, so you're all good. <laughs> it, it was, uh, it actually was July of 2021, but 
about three or four months ago, we decided to change that to August, Mm -hmm. which ended up working out pretty well in our favor because we're on the street is that the season has to be over with before August. So Mm -hmm. the the move from July to August um, was a good good play so far. Absolutely. Well, that's good to hear. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean, we talked about the season there a little bit. The season looks like, um, I mean, we've heard the dates of January 13th thrown out there. A lot of people are saying maybe a little bit later into January. Um, but l- let's take it back a little bit to, to the bubble life that you were a part of, because I, like you found yourself in a pretty interesting situation of, you know, following with the team, practicing with the team, being around the team, but you didn't really get into any games during the bubble. But what was that experience just like for you? I mean, it, it must be something like you've never really experienced before in the hockey world. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, I don't think that will happen for a while now maybe if ever again so it was kind of cool to be a part of the bubble experience as much of it uh it was a grind for guys that were in there and uh, myself included but looking back on it it was you know you're very focused every day wake up you got your workout depending on if you're um playing or not you have a certain type of skate you have to do so um you're you're really focused the whole time you're in there it was cool seeing other players i grew up watching um walking around the rink and saying hi to them and having conversations with people I haven't caught up with in a while. So that was the good part of it. And obviously the probably the worst part was just not seeing our families and stuff. But other than that, it was a pretty unique experience that I'm grateful for in the long run. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, that, that team, the Canucks, went on a pretty good run there. I mean, you guys, you know, as a whole, I think shocked a lot of people. And, and it seemed like a lot of the league and, and just people around the world of hockey, you know, kind of started to fall in love with this Canucks underdog team a little bit. What was that like to, to kind of see what the league was saying about you guys? Yeah, I think uh, we kind of knew that we were maybe written off I don't, uh, at the beginning of the playoffs after we beat Minnesota and facing St. Louis, everyone mm-hmm. – seemed to think that St. Louis was going to roll over us, but um, you know, our group and coaching staff believed wholeheartedly that we are the better team, we're the faster team, and um, we wanted it more. <clears throat> That's what we did. We, I, I don't want to say we, I wasn't really on the ice with the guys, but I was watching them, <laughs> um, and they did. They really outworked them, and um, they really wanted it. We were one game away from uh, against Vegas to making it to the conference finals, and at that point, it's anyone's game and I think anything can happen mm-hmm. yeah absolutely it is it was yeah it was a lot of fun to see and obviously that run that we saw Demko run through um I know that uh, you haven't really been around Demko a lot because I know that he was he moved on from the comments I guess before you got there uh, but what was it like to just see a goaltender do that because the numbers of 985 save percentage like it's it's ridiculous to see what he did there what did you think just getting a chance to take it in from the arena there oh it was awesome I mean he's such a good guy he's been a good resource for me for any questions I have and just kind of putting me under his wing and stuff because he's kind of in the situation that I'm in. But yeah, watching him in those games that he played, it was unbelievable. We were sitting in the uh, the suites up top. And if, we, if you had a camera just on our group up there, like our, our jaws were dropping every other play, every other <laughs> save he was making and just like kind of hitting each other whenever he made a six save or something like that. It was, it was special to watch and everyone was super happy for him. Yeah, absolutely. And now, I mean, looking forward in the future, it's it's a great spot to set up with. And then you guys bring in, you know, another Vesna caliber goalie in Braden Holtby. That's that's quite the uh, the back end that you defensemen are going to get to play in front of. It feels like next year. Yeah, definitely. He's a well established goalie. Um, won a Stanley Cup, so I mean, he's a huge piece, and um, I'm sure he's going to be another great mentor for for Demmer, and they're going to compete for time and. Um, 
you know, Marky was also a great, great mentor and for Demer and also just a great guy overall for even the black ace guys in the bubble and the short time that I got to spend with him and talk to him. He was just a one of a kind guy. And I think you can kind of feel that from the guys who you've, or who have been asked questions about him. They're, they're going to be dearly missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I did. Speaking of the black aces group that you guys had, I'd like to, to go back a little bit to training camp and I want to start with, um, the one thing that stuck out from the second training camp, I guess we can call it, the one before you guys went to the bubble, um, I got to ask, um, is that how loud Cole Lind is at every single practice? Because it felt like you could just hear him screaming the whole time. <laughs> he's probably louder, honestly, once he gets more comfortable. He's got to get him a muzzle every now and then. But <laughs> no, he, he's a vocal player and um, gets under your skin, calls for the puck kind of guy. and um, He's very effective at it, very good at it. So, yeah, he's... Yeah, let people know where you are on the ice to get the puck, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that voice is piercing all the way up into the upper stands where we could hear him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell him that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, speaking of that second training camp, Rogan, I, I saw you at both training camps this year, the one in Victoria and in the one in Vancouver. Um, and I, I, I thought the one that you had in Victoria was you had a great camp. I, I thought that you had a real chance of making the Canucks team out of that camp. But I'm wondering how you felt about the second one, the one that was actually in Vancouver. Do you think you performed up to the standard that you were hoping for? Um, probably not in the camp. Mm-hmm. Um, as we went to the bubble and stuff in the skates, I felt more comfortable. Um, but yeah, during the camp, I, I didn't feel, like I said earlier, like the rinks were shut down and stuff like that. It's, it was hard to get ice more than three times a week and get fully prepared for a training camp like that. But um, no, I, I probably didn't play as best as I could have. Um, that kind of, but as I went into the bubble, I thought I, the practices and stuff, I was playing better, feeling more confident, and just working on stuff. And I'm, I'm picking up stuff every day, like mm-hmm. learning, observing from guys, and taking bits and pieces into my own game that I'm good at. And um, that's why I've been. After I left the bubble, that's what was my main focus on the ice was to try to sharpen up those areas in my game so that when I come in for the training camp in a couple weeks or whatever, that I'm ready to go and, and make an impact. Absolutely. And how do you feel that you've been able to, to do that this off season? Because like you mentioned, it, it's got to be tough to get ice and just be able to get into a gym, I believe. Yeah, I, I'm lucky to have a home gym um, in my garage. But, yeah, I'm up to – I put on, you know, seven, eight, nine pounds – um, just trying to get stronger stick strength, wrist strength is one of my big focuses and um, just trusting my skating ability and just I've been watching video and stuff from the team's games last season, I'll be riding the bike in my garage and just watching the old games and just watching what players do, um, you know like guys like Tanny, Stetch um, the guys who are right shot defensemen who unfortunately are no longer with us but yeah um, and even just guys like on other teams, like just keeping the play simple, making hard, hard direct plays, and playing with an edge. Yeah, one of the things that I think last time we talked, you mentioned it was something that you like to bring. Just, just try and make it hard on defenders. Like when you actually have the puck and you're bringing it to the offensive zone. I'm wondering, like, how much of that kind of just evolved last season for you? Because, like, I'm looking at your numbers here, and you know, uh, since 2012, the only season that you had. I mean, last year was the seven goals you scored. That's the most you've scored. It's the most points you've ever put up in a season. Like, did something just come together last year, like kind of all the work that you put in at the NCAA level, or or was it just kind of like a change of mindset at looking at scoring goals for you? I think it was a little bit of both. I think 
everything just kind of came together for me last year. We had a really good team, and um, the coaching staff was great and just put me in every situation possible to succeed. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it just came all together for me, and I, I, I wanted to be more of a threat shooting the puck because I, I do think I have a – um, a decent shot to get through traffic and stuff like that. So just use that and <clears throat> just try to get it past that first or second forward and, and see what happens. But in terms of just joining the rush, yeah, throw more pucks on that because you never know what's going to happen and you create more opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And now the way that you're coming into it with training camp now, uh, I know it's something you've talked about in the past is, you know, a goal for you obviously has to be make this Canucks team, especially, you know, after being an AHL All-Star last year, you know, being one of the top scoring defensemen. Um, how, how do you feel like going into camp now, looking at some of these other guys that are coming in? I mean, there's some young prospects that are going to be battling for that third spot on the third pairing there. I mean, there's some openings, right? Like, how does it feel for you looking forward? Are you looking pretty optimistic going into camp now? Yeah, of course. Um I would just say the word, one word would be just motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, just focused and motivated on what I need to do to make the team and um, what they're looking for in me um, to be able to to crack the opening night roster. So, yeah, there's a lot of motivation. Obviously, um, Tanev and Setch are gone, which, I mean, can't say enough good things about them either. Like the short time I knew them, they mm-hmm. were just really nice guys, and I know they were a huge piece of this team. And I just would like to come in and, um, you know, try to fill that role the best I can and and just go from there, honestly. Yeah, I mean, like, it's weird. Like, just doing the simple math, kind of like seeing that those two players leave, you have an AHL All-Star defenseman on the right side of the Mm -hmm. AHL level last year. I mean... You seem like a good fit to me on that third pairing if I'm looking at it. Um, Thank you, I appreciate it. But we'll see what the coaches have to say, I guess, about that. Uh, I'm not a coach, so. Um, <laughs> but but looking at it, and I mean, going into training camp now, um, like like is it is it a strange feeling? Do you think for you? I mean, looking at what you're going to have to do over the next kind of month here, like it feels like with a quarantine time, with a strange camp, and then jumping right into you know, hockey that it, you're not really certain how it's going to go down or what the fans are going to be like in the arena. Like, how do you kind of look at the situation right now? Is it kind of strange looking at it? Yeah, I, the, the hardest part for me and I think for a lot of players is there's just so much unknown. And mm. um, not only just the hockey aspect, just like the life aspect and um, all that stuff. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult. I think for me, it's just I'm focused on, you know, one day at a time. My my first thing is get to Vancouver, you know, test negative, and just we we should have 14 days of skates and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So just keep getting in the best shape possible for camp. And then after that, it's make the team. And after that, it's get in the lineup. And so just take it, for me, just small steps at a time. Don't look to February or March. Just look kind of week to week and try to set your goals. Mm-hmm. What's uh, what's one takeaway that you might be able to take away from your time, like at the last training camp and during the bubble, that you maybe didn't really know, and it might help you coming into this camp now? Um, you just can't take a shift off. I think conditioning for me is a huge part, and for everyone, obviously. But our team really believes in um, being in the best possible condition, so that you can, you know, I can, me personally, I can play hard defensively. I can be effective and in certain areas every shift and and not get tired and have longevity throughout the game to make an impact so that and i would i would piggyback that with uh just making hard plays simple plays um in areas that you don't really need to make a special play or you don't really have to make a 
uh, a jaw dropping play. It's just you know the mean potatoes. Just get it on the forward stick. Get it out. Get it out of your zone. Get it into the in the other team's zone. So that's just the two takeaways I'm I'm looking for in camp for my own game. Um, just keeping it simple and and working hard and staying in shape. Absolutely, and and it's it's something that I think that you know, there might have to be an adjustment almost in your game because I think a lot of guys go through this when, more specifically forwards, I think, when forwards are coming out of junior hockey and they're, you know, top scorers, but they have to come to the NHL and kind of fit into a bottom six role. Like, for you, I think you're coming into a spot as a guy who scored a ton of points, obviously, in the AHL, and I think you'll be able to bring some of that offense to the NHL as well. But to you hopping into that third pairing, what does it mean for you to potentially be killing penalties? Because it's something that you didn't really do a lot of the AHL last year. No, I didn't. I did it um, in college a lot, and um, it's a part of my game where I think that I can, you know, kill penalties if I if I'm needed to do that. In Utica, <clears throat> a lot of guys who have been there for a couple of years and who were penalty killers, and they were great at it, so they didn't really need me as much for that. Right. But to kind of reiterate what you said, it's just for for me, it's finding my role in, in the NHL. <clears throat> and I know that's going to be probably different than what it was in the AHL last year, but it's just coming in, analyzing what kind of role I need to um, fill to make the team and just do whatever it takes to make this team and, and kind of go from there. Absolutely. Did you get um, like a different sense of that, maybe being around the bubble and being around uh, you know Travis Green and Nolan Baumgartner? Like, did you get kind of a sense of maybe what they wanted for going into this year? Yeah, um, I did the bubble. I mean, the playoff hockey is just another level, right? So I was observing that and observing how hard guys are playing and how simple the plays that they're making um, in certain areas of the ice where you don't want to turn the puck over. Mm-hmm. So I was just observing that and um, taking that and applying it to my game. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's it's like we said, it's been a strange time kind of going into what we're going to get into here in the next couple of weeks. But for you, like getting just another chance to go to a hockey training camp here for an NHL team, uh, what does it just kind of mean for you at the age of 25 now, Brogan? Like, are you looking at it a little bit different than maybe your camp last year? Or, you know, you like because you're in such a strange spot, I feel like. A guy that was, you know, undrafted, signed out of college, and now put up crazy points at the AHL level. Like, what does it look like for you? Because I feel like you're a little bit more of a mature prospect here for these Canucks. Like, how does it feel going into this training camp this year for you? Yeah, it is a little bit different. I think my first camp, um, the writing was kind of on the wall for me. I I knew Mm -hmm. that there was, it was kind of landlocked on the back end, so I was just trying to make an impact. And hopefully that stayed in, in their minds when I was down at Utica that, that would eventually lead to a call-up or my play would lead to a call-up. <clears throat> and, um, you know, fortunately for the guys up there, like, none of them got hurt. No, There's no injuries. And, you know, they had a great season. And I'm not going to take that away from anyone. But this camp is a little different because now it's like I have a, a big opportunity here. Um, you know, I, I'm very aware that there is a spot open and um, – so it's extra motivation, and uh, yeah, I am more, I think I'm more mature than I was a year, year and a half ago. So um, that's part of the game that I've been developing is just making more of a mature game um, while keeping that, while keeping what I think I have are my strengths. Absolutely. I, I want to switch gears a little bit here and go back because I just pulled up the Instagram and I was reminded of these pictures from Arizona. What was that trip like for you? I guess a few months ago now. Oh, that was nice. It was good. I. Um, 
so I was in the bubble, obviously, and I was away from my fiance for and family for 70 days. And cool. that was a long time. And I know it was hard on her. And <clears throat> we actually have never taken a trip together, um, just the two of us. So I told her that we can go on a trip when I get back. And um, so after we lost, I started planning that. And um, that was it was cool to just get away for, you know, five or six days and go hiking and you know, see Arizona being that warm weather. And, um, yeah, it was good. It was a good getaway for the two of us after, you know, I felt bad for her having to, you know, not see me for 70 days. Yeah, yeah no doubt. You guys must have been together for, you know, the next 200 hours after that, it probably <clears throat> feels like. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, I've seen her every day for the past, like, X amount of months. So we're good. <laughs> that's good to hear and obviously yeah congrats on the wedding coming up next year i think uh i think we'll wrap it up there brogan i mean we're, we're really excited to get your chance to see you here at camp uh wishing you all the best of luck um like i said you're my pick for that third pairing spot but uh i'll keep that to myself nobody else needs to know that except for everyone listening to this but uh, i appreciate you coming on to the show here again and uh like i said best of luck going into camp i'm sure we'll see you on uh some zoom calls here in the next few weeks all righty chris sounds good thanks for your time Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, and you can use promo code Hockey Season with a capital H and a capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, to get $5 off your order exclusively for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners. Be sure to join them live on Twitch for epic case break openings. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Zephyr Epic, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. All right, guys, joining us now. Now the Canucks sixth round pick in the 2019 draft, a California kid who grew up in New Jersey, uh, but we respect that as the West Coast boy over here. Jack Malone. Jack, how you doing today, bud? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's good to get you back on the show. I know it's been um, a little bit of a whirlwind for you over the past probably month or so. I know that uh, Cornell having to cancel their hockey after a little bit there uh, must have been kind of a down thing for you because I'm sure you were excited to get into your second year of NCAA hockey, eh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was just, you know, an unfortunate turn of events, but, you know, obviously we all understand where the, where the decision came from. Um, so everyone's just trying to make, uh, make do, um, you know, with what's available. And I was lucky enough to still have the opportunity to come back and play, uh, for Youngstown. So here I am. Yeah, no doubt. That's great that you could return to that team. And, you know, speaking of the pandemic, I guess a little bit, it seems to be the topic of a lot of these interviews off the top. I'm wondering, uh, did you learn any specific skills as you were staying at home a little bit more? I know a lot of people leaned on cooking a little bit, it seems like. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I definitely uh, tried to master the grill um, mm-hmm. while I was up at school uh, while, while we weren't, weren't playing as much. So the grill was in use a lot. We cooked up a lot of burgers, um, a lot of chicken. So I, I, I can't say I'm a master yet, but, um, you know, I, I enjoy cooking on the grill for sure. That's so that, that was a skill I think I developed a little bit at least. <laughs> yeah, definitely get a lot of practice in, I guess. Eh? So um, where, where were you kind of quarantining? Where are you kind of spending most of your time in, uh, I guess, the dog days of summer that we just kind of got through now? Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I never really had to quarantine per se, just because mm-hmm. New Jersey was never on like that high risk, high risk, high risk state list. So yep. I, I was just able to go in. Uh, to Cornell after after uh, the summer at the beginning of the year and and kind of just move right in and and get going. We weren't able able to skate a whole lot right away, um, just because a lot of the guys on my team were, were quarantining since they came from Canada. Um, 
but myself personally, I never really had to quarantine, so I was lucky enough to kind of just go in and get going right away. That's awesome. And I mean, to speak of your first year at Cornell there, um, did you, you, I think last time we talked, you were going into the uh, major of applied economics and management. How was that first semester that you went through there? Or first year, I guess. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, the first year, um, it, it definitely, it's definitely a, a tough course, course load, um, but it's manageable, especially having some other guys in, in the program with me. Uh, some guys that have been through the same classes, so you got those guys to lean on. Um, but the classes are interesting. You know, I'm really looking forward to the next few years when I, you know, decide on my concentration, what exactly I want to focus on, whether that be finance or um, or marketing. And you know, I'm not really sure yet. But um, it was definitely a challenging first year, and then this first semester, obviously being away from the classroom, having to do everything, you know, virtually was was a bit of a change. But everyone's going through the same same type of situation yeah most definitely i know that's uh no it sounds like quite the course load for you especially with hockey and everything going on is it uh quite a jump going from high school to cornell university yeah definitely um you 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 kind of see right away what what it's going to be like you know first day of classes you got you know homework in every class and it's not quite like that in high school it definitely hits you right in the face it slaps you right in the face but um, it's as I said, you know, it's, it's manageable as long as you stay on top of your work and you know you don't you don't procrastinate too much and you don't get, let yourself get behind. So, like I said, it's just it, it's it's nice to have some older guys to lean on who who have been through some of the same classes as you. Um, so I never really um, never really fell behind, which I was lucky enough for, but. That doesn't take away from how hard the the courses are. You definitely have to stay on top of it. Most definitely, if the courses aren't hard enough, the hockey's got to be there as well. I know you got into twenty seven games last year, uh, put up two goals and six assists. How did you kind of feel looking at you know looking back now? I guess at your freshman season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's um, it, I think it was definitely a, a building year for me. You know, looking back, um, you know, personally, I, I always want to want to be doing better and producing more. Um, but you know that just go, goes with you know the, the type of type of player that that we all are. Um, but I definitely you know enjoyed every second of it playing um, on a you know fantastic team. Obviously, it was unfortunate um, you know given the team we had and, and you know I, th- I think we could have made a run at it at the at the title. But um, I definitely you know enjoyed every second of it. Um, and definitely you know going into my next next year um, of playing at Cornell, I'm definitely going to use that you know, having a, that year under my belt. And um, and then you know, learning from from a lot of the older guys who had been there, um, so that you know when I when I do have the opportunity to play again uh, for Cornell, I um, I'll be able to jump right in and 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 have that year under my belt and, and use that moving forward. Yeah, most definitely. Now you're getting another year of actually playing hockey. I'm sure that not every player or teammate of yours at Cornell kind of got the opportunity to jump into a league like you are jumping back into the USHL. Yeah, no, it, it, I was actually one of only um, six guys, I think, or, or four incoming freshmen um, that came in last year, or all 2000. So um, I think a few a few of them went back uh, to play juniors, and and uh, a, a kid, Matt Steinberg, who was in my class, who's 2000 as well. He he actually went up at the beginning of the year to play for um, West Kelowna in the BCHL, but he unfortunately got got hurt. Um, so you know, it was unfortunate the way it turned out for him, but you know, it's all. Um, you know, it's all just because we're in the same boat and we have the opportunity to, to, to play. So the rest of the guys, I think, are just kind of making do, as, as, as I said, and they're they're making the most of the opera what they have, um, you know, whether that be at home or I know some guys are still up, up at campus, um, you know, skating and everything. So it just depends on the guy. Um, I think, well, yeah, as I said, only six of us were, were able to come back and play juniors, but everyone's trying to, you know, make the most of it. 
And how's that feel for you to return to a team? I mean, you played two full seasons with Youngstown, um, and obviously a little bit of a, a little bit of a dash there at the end of 2017 as well. But for you to get there and return there, and I know something that you kind of texted with me about was that you have your same billet uh, family as well. That's pretty awesome to connect with them, eh? Yeah, no, it, it was a little bit weird coming back, um, you know, because you know you, you leave and and um, you know you, when you're coming back, you remember it a certain way, and it's it's not quite the same. Um, but you know, it only took a, took a day or two to, to kind of get used to it again. And obviously like my billets are unbelievable, um, such wonderful people. And I'm so, so thankful to be able to live with them again. Uh, they got two younger kids who, um, who I love to hang out with and you know, the, the, the mom and dad are, are, are great people as well. Um, so I was really lucky to be able to, to live here again and it didn't take much time to jump right back into it. That's all. And I'm, I'm actually really curious cause like, it's something that I don't get to see. Obviously I'm here in Vancouver. Um, I don't really get the whole I guess, like, culture around the USHL. Could you just maybe kind of explain, like, what that team means to the city of Youngstown? Yeah, yeah it's definitely um, it's definitely big for, for, you know, a certain population of, of the city. There's there's some fans that are there every night. You know, you see the same faces. And, um, you know, we, we don't have the, the biggest fan base in the league. Um, but, you know, the people that, that come to the games and, and, um, and follow the team are, are really into it, and we're thankful for, for, those, for those people. Um, because you know it's exciting whether whether there's you know 100 people in the stands or or 3,000, um, you know if if you know that they're into it and they're really supporting you, then it's it, it gives you that, that that extra boost on the ice for sure. Absolutely, and you know coming back as a 20 year old now, you must feel like you know especially taking a year off, it's kind of strange because you're returning. There's probably a couple of guys that you played with at the time, and then you know taking a year away from the team, but now coming back, uh, what's that kind of adjustment been like for you? Now I'm assuming that you're in more of a leader role with these guys. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a bit strange for me actually because I've I've always been one of the younger guys on my team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was a freshman and sophomore in high school playing for my, for my high school team, and then I went into Youngstown um, as a junior and senior in high school playing with with guys a lot older than me. And then you know, this past year I was a freshman. Um, you know, obviously playing with with some older guys, and now I'm coming back and and I'm the um, the overage guy, the 20 year old. And it, it, it's a, it's a bit different. Um, I'm still trying to fill, fill that role um, and learn what it, what it means to be more of a, a leader. I, I try to be a leader for, uh, by example, more so than, than more of a, a vocal leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I'm just trying to do the right things on the ice and off the ice. And, you know, there's a lot of younger guys in our team this year. And, uh, you know, I, I've been there for, for a couple of years, obviously, and I'm just trying to do the best I can to, to kind of show them the ropes and, and do what I can to help the team. Absolutely. And uh, and last time we spoke, um, the thing that you said your teammates, and I think I talked to your coach and the play-by-play guy at the time, and they said you don't shoot the puck enough. Uh, are you shooting the puck more now, Jack? <laughs> Sorry, could you repeat that? I lost you for a second. Yeah, no worries. Uh, what they were saying when I talked to you last time, uh, I talked to your play-by-play guy and I talked to your coach as well, and they were saying they were hoping that you could shoot the puck a little bit more. So how are you doing with that? Are you shooting more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely a... a you know, a pointer I've gotten for, for a lot of my, my hockey career is shooting the puck more. And I'm just a, a distributor, just, um, that heart. And I, I'm always trying to shoot the puck more. And definitely this is an opportunity for me for sure to, to try and rip it a little bit more, um, get some more shots. So, you know, it's, it's hard when you, when you do some, something a certain way for, for most of your life. And then you're trying to, you're trying to change it a little bit. But, you know, I, I definitely, you know, recognize that I have to shoot the puck more and, and be more of a shooter and a shot threat when I have it instead of always looking to make that pass. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I'm trying to make the perfect play, whereas the, 
the right place just to shoot it right in front of me. So um, I've heard that a lot, and um, I'm definitely trying to work on it. Yeah, it's um, another thing that we kind of talk about, obviously, with a lot of Canucks prospects and you being a sixth-round pick of the 2019 draft. Um, that's something that you guys like to you know get involved with the Vancouver Canucks. You get to do these prospects camps. Uh, was it kind of a bummer for you to hear that there wasn't going to be one this year? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I really, really enjoyed being there last year. Um, it's not a, it's not an easy camp for sure. Um, you know, some of the testing is, is pretty difficult and, um, it's a bit of a grind. Um, but just being in Vancouver and, and seeing the city, it's such a, it's such a nice city. Um, and you know, we, we actually had a lot of time to kind of walk around, um, and had a lot of free time. So I definitely you know took advantage of that. So I was definitely bummed out, um, when we weren't all able to go back. Um, but you know, hopefully next year, um, or next summer, I should say, We'll have that opportunity again, and in which case, I'll be I'll be excited to go. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And uh, last time you were with the Phantoms, obviously in your final year there, you played on probably the best line in the USHL alongside with um, with Brett and Connor. There, you guys were outstanding. That line was incredible. Top twenty in scoring for all three of you guys. Uh, what's it like now in this Phantom teams? What kind of what's your kind of goals? I guess for the team going into this year. Yeah, um, yeah. As you like said, Brett and Connor, like Mac, those those are two unbelievable players and I was really lucky to be able to play with them for that that whole year I think we you know developed a lot of chemistry as the year went on and you know it's it's different now because you know trying to trying to find the right combinations um with the right guys and there's a lot of a lot of skilled forwards on the Phantoms this year um so we're, we're just trying to like you know find the right combinations and and find some chemistry and um you know it's definitely not hard to play with some of the some of these guys because they they're they're really good really good players um, so that's just going to take some time, um, you know, only like a, you know, two weekends in here and, mm-hmm. you know, still trying to build, um, build off some, some chemistry. So we're trying, just trying to look for that still. Yeah. And how did that all kind of come together for you to go back and join the USHL and the Phantoms? Because I feel like, like, it seemed like it happened pretty fast after you guys found out that your season was canceled at Cornell. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was always in the back of my mind, obviously, you know, mm. not being a hundred percent sure that we were going to play at Cornell. Um, so I, I didn't want to commit to anything too early. Um, so I, I had been in touch with, with, with the fans coach, uh, with Patty. And, um, you know, as soon as I found out that we weren't going to be playing there, um, you know, and then the next day or two, I, I made the, made a call to him and, you know, asked if it would be possible and, you know, went through, um, my advisor who, who was great through the process and it was a really easy transition. And I, it felt like, you know, in a day or two, I was back here and, just jumping right back into it. Yeah, so it seems like a snap of the fingers and it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's pretty great. And I know that, um, I think we even talked about this last time, but um, just looking at some of your guys' games so far, um, look to be one of the tougher teams in the league. Is that just something that the Phantoms seem to do every year? Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but um, <laughs> every year it's, um, you know, it, I don't know what it is, but, you know, I think we always just try to embrace that. Um, you know, being a physical team, really hard to play against. Um and you know that's never going to leave you know the culture of the Phantoms, um, but that doesn't mean that we don't have some skill as well. As I said, there's a lot of a lot of really great players in the team this year, and um, you know everyone has the ability to make plays. But you know if, if someone you know has to stick up for another guy on our team, then there's not going to be one guy that's going to hesitate to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, you can tell uh, from watching every game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just 
I guess like moving forward now with your career and your hockey development, I know that, you know, the goal for you is obviously to get back to Cornell next year, as long as everything, you know, gets back into order and hopefully the world uh, stops being such a big uh, piece of crap eventually here and gets back to regular, <laughs> regular life. And, and I'm sure that you want to get back to Cornell to play some more hockey there. What, what now do you kind of look at like the way that you're developing your game as a 20 year old now in the USHL? I mean, you've been there, you've put up, you know, a season where you were more than a point per game. Do you have any like personal goals now going into this year? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Obviously, I want to do well and you know, I want to produce, but I, I don't want to put too much pressure on myself as well. I just want to stick to to what I know, and I'm not going to try and and set you know an insane insane goal that I you know mm-hmm. not sure I'm going to be able to reach. But at the same time, I'm a competitive person, and I, I want to you know better myself you know every day. And and um, you know, obviously, I I hope to do better than the last time. Um, but it's you know it's a bit different. You know, I'm a different player now, and um, I can't say that I came back with with any certain expectations. I just wanted to come back and play and do my best and help help the Phantoms win. And um, you know, as the year goes on, I'm sure that I'll, I'll try to develop some more goals for myself individually, whether that be you know point based or or just habit based, because you know that's that's yeah. what I'm trying to do as well. Is trying to you know not just put up points, but you know, develop my game because you know I'm going to be jumping back into college hockey next year as a, a junior. I'll be, and you know, at that point, I'll have a, a bigger role on on uh, on my college team there. And um, I'm just trying to develop here as much as I can before I can before I go back. You brought up a really good, really interesting thing there. You said habit based when you want to talk about some of your things in hockey. I'm wondering, did a lot of that change just from going to NCAA and getting a different coach for a year that, you know, is a little bit of a higher level of coaching, obviously, at a great university like Cornell? Like, is that something that you really learned there that was different from the USHL? Yeah, yeah. Well, Shafe's obviously a great coach, and and so is Patty here in Youngstown, and they both, you know, taught me so much, you know, during my time there. Obviously, my time is not up for you know either of those those coaches and, and teams mm-hmm. um but yeah like having having Shafe um last year um and you know kind of going through that year um you know going through different you know habits for for Cornell and they're trying to instill the same thing for everybody and and um they're trying to pinpoint what they can what they can do for your you, you as a player individually and and um and how they can help you however they can so you know they definitely tried to um try to put some of that in me and i'm going to take that um this year as well and 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 try to develop it as much as i can before i go back because this is a great opportunity for me to kind of take some of those skills um that um that Shafe and flanny uh, up at cornell um try to instill in me and, and and develop them here most definitely yeah i mean like that's the thing it's i find it so cool and just even like hearing the way that you said that was was interesting because i know that the ncaa coaches and just playing in games and you know the environment almost seems so different that's why i'm curious what it's like kind of going back to the ushl specifically with like covid things going on right now and less fans in the stands like it's just it's got to be a weird feeling almost for you right like going back to the ushl after this this crazy world that the pandemic's put us in yeah definitely i mean you know first year at Cornell was unbelievable with regards to like the fan base and everything. And, you know, line of faithful is one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to go to Cornell is yeah. because, you know, they have one of the best fan bases in the country. Um, so yeah, having, having to go from that and then, you know, coming back to Youngstown, it's a, it's a really big rink um, and doesn't have, doesn't, you know, kind of fill it the way that that line does, but that just, you know, that's just going to make me, 
and everyone else try to prepare more beforehand because you're not going to have that extra juice in the stadium. So you got to kind of do that for yourself beforehand and, and get yourself ready. Mm-hmm. So it's a different, it's definitely a different atmosphere, but, um, you know, I kind of expected that coming in and, and I was ready for that. So, and I'm sure that obviously when you hear that your season's canceled, that's got to be tough news for anyone, specifically all you players at Cornell. But uh, I'm wondering what the Canucks organization thought. I know that you've dealt a little bit with Chris Higgins, I think, and maybe some Ryan Johnson in the past. What did they think when you made the transition back to the USHL? Just the fact that you get to play hockey, I think, they must have just been excited about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've both been been great. And, um, you know, I've been able to you know develop a little bit more of a relationship with them here in the, in the past few months. And, you know, they were very supportive of, of go back and you know they said the same thing to me as i said before you know don't don't put too much pressure on yourself just go back and do the right things and and try to develop so when you come back to cornell you you know you'll be you'll be ready to go because you know i'm going to try to use this as you know an advantage because i know there's a lot of guys that you know aren't going to be playing hockey and and you know they're gonna have to you know jump right back into it but you know i have the opportunity to be here and, and still play competitively so um they're really supportive of that and um you know they're excited for me to come back and play Absolutely. And, you know, get back to a prospects camp and all that stuff. Uh, I'm wondering, how much did you follow the Vancouver Canucks in the playoffs this past year in a little bit of a bubble? And they had a nice little run, obviously, you know, getting to Game 7 against the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it's, um, it's, it's weird because, you know, I, um, you know growing up, um, as you said, in, in California, I didn't really start to really watch hockey as much until I moved to, to New Jersey. And I picked up some teams over here on the on the East Coast. So, um, obviously when I was drafted by the Canucks, you know, I, I became an immediate fan and, and I definitely followed them a, a, a bit more than I had before. Um, but you know, they're such a young skilled team and, um, and it's just something, you know, I, I aspire to be a part of one day and, um, it's, you know, they're, they're a very, very exciting team to watch. Mm-hmm. And I know that, um, I don't know if you guys played much against any other Canucks prospects last year at Cornell, but do you ever get a chance to chat with some of the guys that you might have met uh, at prospects camp a couple years or just last year? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I, I know um, Aiden McDonough is another another NCAA guy who, who I talked to a little bit over over the course of the camp, and um, you know it's it's hard to kind of keep those relationships as the season goes on because mm-hmm. obviously not being in the same league and not being not, not playing against each other, but. Um, you know, being up at the camp, you know, there's a, everyone. Everyone there is a really, really nice guy, and um, I was all, all great players. Um, so I, you know, wish wish them all the best in, in their leagues and their in their play. But I unfortunately am not able to, you know, kind of physically see them and play against them as much. Yeah, most definitely, and that's too bad, obviously. But uh, with the USHL going on, it's going to be great to follow your season, anyways. And yeah, your team's looking pretty good so far, so we're excited to see what you guys do. And uh, I guess just final thing, like now that you're in this situation, how much contact do you kind of have with the Canucks guys, like uh, Higgins or Johnson now? Yeah, I no, don't. They, they've they've been great with with you know keeping tabs on me, and I'm really really appreciative of that. Um, you know, they really make make you feel like they're. Um, they're there for you at any time and you know they encourage me to to kind of give them calls whenever i have any questions and and um definitely been building a, a bit more of a relationship with them now um haven't been in, in touch with them you know during this transition and um you know really grateful for 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 both of them and um and everyone else who who was a part of who was a part of the camp up there when i was when i was there and um and been in touch with me ever since so um it's it's just a wonderful organization to be a part of and and everyone just just they're all just such great people and they really care about their players and and their their prospects and organization so it's 
it's a great place to to be and as i said it's a, it's a place i aspire to be one day yeah absolutely and uh beautiful city too so we'll have to get you back up here for a prospect yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely that'd be great <laughs> um as we kind of wrap up here final couple of minutes um people enjoyed the article that i wrote about you after our first conversation i guess just after you got drafted uh the title of the article was getting to know jack malone so i'm wondering if we can dive a little bit in with some rapid fire questions here uh you're gonna have like five seconds to answer them so you might have to be kind of quick are you all good with that I'm good with that. I'm ready to go. Awesome. Sounds good. Okay, first one. Video games, yes or no? Yes. Big uh, big Call of Duty guy, and uh, I'm getting into UFC. Okay. It's a fun game. <laughs> so you're playing Warzone right now a little bit? I, yeah, definitely big Warzone guy, for okay. sure. What are What's the wins looking like? Are we talking double digits, triple digits? Where are we sitting? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd love to sit here and tell you I win every game, but that's just not the case. I'm, I'm definitely still in single digits. Um, not the best player, but I have fun playing with the guys. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. At least you're not playing Fortnite anymore. That's good to hear. <laughs> Unless you are. But anyways, uh, so next question. You have nachos. You have a plate of nachos in front of you. I have three dips. You have to choose one. Sour cream, salsa, or guacamole. Which one do you take? Sour cream, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm rolling with you on that one, for sure. Uh, yeah. Favorite sugary cereal as a kid and potentially still to this day? Oh, Lucky Charms. My mom, my mom used to wrap that up as a gift because I never really had sugar cereal in the house, so <laughs> I'd get that as a gift on my birthday sometimes. <laughs> oh, actually, that's that quite a story. I think I just saw Lucky Charms breakfast bars, and they were like covered in even more sugar. So I was like, "Oh, you can't yeah. say no to that." <laughs> I've, I've definitely had those before too. Those are really good. <laughs> uh, one show that you didn't know of or really think of before, but during the pandemic, maybe you watched a little bit more of. Watched the Queen's Gambit. Which is a, a show about a, a chess player, which is really, really good. It's on Netflix, and I recommend it to to anyone who has any interest in. in, in ch- I'm, I'm not a, a chess by any means, but I, I think it's a really interesting game, and it's a really, really good show. All right, yeah, I've heard some whispers about that actually lately. Um, favorite comedy movie that you like to take quotes from? Oh, Step Brothers. I could recite that movie front to back. All right, favorite quote the one that the one that you saw maybe in theaters that just made you lose it. Of that, of that movie or anyone? Yeah, let's go Step Brothers. We'll stick there. Oh, my gosh. There's so many. <laughs> um, oh, my my mind's racing. Um, <laughs> what's a good quote? A lot of them are, I don't know if I could say. Yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, well. Just the whole the whole drum set scene is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is very true. Um, all right, this one might get a little sentimental here. One movie that makes you cry that you might be ashamed of a little bit. Oh, uh, Avengers Endgame. Mm. I was bawling. I'm a big like Marvel fan. I've okay. seen all those movies. So when I saw Endgame, it was it was a tearjerker. Favorite uh, character from the Marvel universe? Then, uh, I mean, I'm I've always liked Iron Man. Fair so enough. yeah, no spoilers, but that was tough. That's about, that's about what 90% of people say. So yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Jack, that basically wraps up, man. Appreciate you taking some time out of your day. And Canucks fans are going to be excited to hear from you again. So uh, uh, from here, the Canucks conversation, wish you the best of luck with the rest of your season. I'm sure we'll be checking in with you uh, maybe after a couple hat trick games, which I'm sure we'll see down the road here soon. It was a blast. Oddsshark.com. It is your home for odds, futures, picks, and consensus, and the top sports books in Canada. They also have a lot of editorial information, a lot of blog posts. Right now on their site, you can read NHL Calder Trophy odds. They have Igor Shesterkin as the favorite to win the Calder. Now, while this is an advertisement that I'm recording alone... 
Chris and I are definitely going to talk about this because they've released the odds. It's plus 175 for Shesterkin, plus 375 for Lafreniere, and plus 400 for Kaprasov, who Chris believes is going to win the Calder. So we'll talk about that. But this is all coming to you from oddshark.com. Go check them out. You can check out all the latest betting odds and everything you need to know to make the best pick possible. Please visit oddshark.com. All right, guys, joining us once again on the Canucks Conversation, fan favorite of the show, people always love when he jumps on the show with us, Aiden McDonough of Northeastern University. Aiden, how you doing, man? A lot of snow over there, you said. Yeah, doing well. Uh, yeah, like you said, we got about 15 inches here, so uh, just had my winter boots on and my big jacket heading to the rink and home, but uh, but yeah, no, doing really well and um, you know, excited for you know my games this weekend. No doubt, and uh, you guys are playing a ranked team this weekend. It's a big game for you, and last time we chatted on the show, uh, you were just saying you were getting pretty antsy for hockey, so what did it feel like to get that first weekend under your belt? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was weird. I, I was saying to some of my roommates, it was like, I almost felt just as nervous for that, that first game than I did for the Beanpot, just because <laughs> it's, it's been so long, and it's like, you know, we've been practicing for so long, and uh, you kind of, kind of forget how things go in games and just felt like when I get out there, know if I'm going to know what to do, you know, kind of just, uh, I think I helped them get in the first couple shifts in the first period out of the way. And then after that, it's, you know, it's like riding a bike, you know, we've been doing it our whole life. So, um, but no, it was awesome to get out there and compete with the guys and, you know, beat up on someone else for once instead of each other. So, um, it was a lot of fun and, and obviously, Great outcome in both games. Yeah, most definitely. You meant uh, you talked about beating up. You kind of did that on the weekend. There, you guys put up 14 goals in two games. Uh, I know that you talked about this team being a little bit of a different team compared to what it was last year. Uh, do you think that kind of just showed on the ice in the first weekend? Yeah, I think so. I think we uh, we kind of showed what type of team we are going to be going forward. I mean, obviously, not every goal, not every game is going to be you know eight and two or six to three like it was this weekend. I think it's going to be a lot tighter as we move forward, but. I think we can kind of do, we kind of just showed what we could do. I think um, you know we're a lot faster and, and really offensive, and um, all of our D are really good in transitioning puck, moving pucks up quick, and kind of shutting down their attack and getting us going in transition. So I think we kind of showed that this weekend, and um, you know we just played really solid hockey games, you know, defensively and, and offensively, and uh, it won't take our team many chances this year to score. I think we have a lot of guys who know how to score goals and have scored a lot of goals you know, previous years and juniors and stuff. So if we only get a few chances, we're going to be able to bury those. Absolutely. And it was, uh, it was good for you to get an even strength goal this early into the season after last year, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I honestly, someone said it to me after the game and, uh, I was like, geez, I was a little bit quicker this year getting even strength than it was last year. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's something that I kind of, um, you know, I had in the back of my mind a little bit over the summer is, you know, I just don't want to be uh, scoring a power play all the time. I mean, obviously, I'll score a power play penalty kill if I'm in five. You know, four and four, I don't really care. I love, I'd love to score, but I think uh, being able to contribute uh, offensively five on five was something that I kind of honed in on this summer. And, um, you know, kind of pretty cool to see it pay off so far. So, mm-hmm. And I know you're saying you're getting antsy to play, and there was one play uh, you were coming down on the left wing and kind of just barreled into the goaltender a little bit. I wonder if that's just you just being too excited to play some hockey again. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, even just that situation where, uh, you know, we've been practicing and scrimmaging, it's like, I'm probably not going to do that in, in a scrimmage on our own goalie. But, yeah, like you said, I was just so excited coming down the wing. I thought I had to step on the D, and you kind of get your got my feet crossing over, but then I realized, like, I forgot, you know, in a game you got to hold up and not just pass the goalie. But uh, I think I got it worse. My, I hit the crossbar pretty hard, and uh, I didn't really get the goalie that much. So I think uh, that was just, yeah, a lot of excitement and, and kind of just, you know, trying to drive them that hard. 
Mm-hmm, absolutely, and that's the there was something that we talked about last time. You said that you felt that you might have gained a step or two in your game with your skating. Uh, how did it feel to actually just be in game action? Do you think that that came through? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think um, I, I just feel like I'm a, a little more more powerful in my strides, and um, you know, I don't have to use as much energy uh, getting around the ice. You know, I think um, I think it's off the blocks. I've gotten a bit quicker, and um, you know, I think obviously working on you know below the dots has helped too just because when you have the puck and and you can kind of you know see where the puck's going to go where the play is going to go you start to get a jump on things so you're not reacting and being late to it as much and um obviously everyone plays better with the puck on their sticks and you know you try to move your feet as much as you can when the puck is on your stick so i think um but yeah i think this weekend i i mean um my empty nickel i thought i you know, I kind of beat a guy in a one-on-one foot race and i don't think i would be able to do that you know if I, it was last year mm-hmm. um and, and obviously, you know, in the end of the game like that, in that situation, I don't think I was out there like that last year as well. So I think, uh, you know, those couple of things that I, I tried to work on, and um, I think that was only, you know, game one and two. So I still have, you know, so much to go. And um, definitely still kind of, I'm fine. You know, those weekend was a little bit shaking the rust off. So, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you guys, you mentioned it. You guys are going to have a pretty tough challenge this weekend coming up. Um, it, just getting into the season now, I mean, like, it's something that, you know, last time we talked, we weren't really sure when you were going to start playing. Um, now that it's kind of starting to take place, how do you think the, I guess, return to play has been for you guys with NCAA hockey? Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of our team, we've, we've done all the right things. I mean, um, you know, we, we got shut down there. We thought we were going to get shut down for a lot longer. It's supposed to get shut down for four weeks, but because our team hasn't had any, any positive cases, we've really done all the right things. I mean, we've sacrificed a lot in terms of, uh, you know, we don't, really have any gatherings with, with the team you know, other than outside, it, um, you know, within the rink and even in the rink, we're separated in three locker rooms. And, um, honestly, we just want to play. And, um, so we've kind of really done anything. It's, it's a little bit different being in Boston because there's so many people and so many other colleges. So we've kind of known we've had to be careful and, um, we've seen the outbreaks and what happens at other schools when, when there is outbreaks and how they get shut down, yeah. won't be able to practice and stuff like that. So we've really been focused on kind of just keeping, to ourselves and um, folks around us. So I think from our perspective, we've, you know, kind of done all the right things and, um, you know, we've been rewarded with being able to play good games and hopefully play more in the future. But it definitely has been, you know, tough. I, I, I can't tell you that I love practicing for three months um, <laughs> before the season. I think last year we had like three and a half, four weeks before our first game and this year it was three months. So, yeah. um you know, I think that sometimes it's kind of hard to find energy and, and motivation every single day that you that you had from the beginning. You know, when you when you're still two months from playing a game. You know, yeah. So I think just getting the first game under our belt really, really helped us. I mean, you could just tell like the week before practice, like we were just so excited. The energy, everyone's screaming for pucks, everyone's competing, everyone's working, and I think we've kind of carried that over into this week and hopefully into this weekend. It's just uh, you know, it's good. Uh, you know, the the pandemic has affected so many different people in every different way in every walk of life. I mean, there's, there's no denying that. And, um, to say it had, didn't have an effect on our mental, like, you know, these three months, uh, would be, would be, you know, mm-hmm. would be false because we've had so many ups and downs. I mean, we're supposed to play November 20th canceled. You're shut down till you know, December 20th. And then we're playing practicing. We're not, we're playing, you know, this, that again, shut down. So 
it's been tough, but just to get rewarded to be able to play and hopefully play in the future has been it's been really really rewarding. Yeah, you just want to keep hoping for no positive cases here, I guess, moving forward and just stay on the ice as much as possible, I guess. And how, how's it been like that with school though as well? I know are you guys kind of moving towards a lot of online classes, or are you kind of still in class for something? Yeah, so I've been online since the start. I haven't um, I haven't stepped foot in a classroom all year. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've been taking classes since uh, you know since early September and I've you know we've kind of thought like if you know if we aren't going out to dinner with our buddies or aren't doing anything to get COVID why should we go to class and risk it you know what I mean so um every class has been even able to take it online if you have the option so um I don't I think only a few guys have been able to go in class and um but yeah no I'm just finishing up now I think I have uh, one final left it's due tomorrow Friday night at midnight so I gotta uh you know kind of get studying the rest of tonight for that and uh, then I'm on break till about January 20th. Um, I'm not heading home for Christmas. I only live about 15 minutes away, but we're playing the day after Christmas at Vermont. So we're, uh, our whole team's staying. No one's heading home and we're just going to practice and, um, and play through, through then and, um, you know, have some time on our hands with no school. Maybe get into some Netflix shows as we like to do, as my room does and, um, and then just kind of get ready for that. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, we're kind of in the same boat here as well. I know uh, my co-host Dave and I both just wrapped up on Friday, and we're kind of like, oh, it's kind of fun now. We just get to you know do some hockey stuff for a little bit. I know that we're we're writing about it and podcasting about it. You're actually playing it, so I think you got the better end of that. Uh, but either way, without school, it's a little bit more fun for sure. Yeah, definitely. I remember last year, it's like you're a pro for you know two or three weeks. You know, you just go to the <laughs> rink and play hockey, and that's that's really it. You kind of just focus on hockey for that time, and um, there's no one no one's really going to be on campus. A lot of those stores and stuff like that and uh, restaurants are going to be shut down so we're going to have to cook a lot which is fine and um and yeah just kind of focus on hockey and you know like i said watch the tv shows yeah speaking of that like you're going to be the third interview this week on the show talk to a couple other canucks prospects and i asked them like what they kind of picked up during the pandemic uh jack malone who was with cornell university before they got shut down he's back in the ushl now he said that he's improved a lot on his grill cooking like chicken and burgers and then i heard from brogan rafferty as well who will be at camp this week with the canucks uh and what he said was that he's actually stepped it up and started making things like risotto and picking it up i'm I'm curious where your cooking level is at um to be honest with you i kind of set out during quarantine um to be able to cook uh and I, I I worked on it a bit. I, I I got breakfasts down so I can make some oatmeal, which obviously is really hard to make. Um, but yeah, my cooking cooking skills are very very minimal. Uh, my roommates will probably tell you that they're even worse than I say they are. But um, I'm lucky that two of my roommates are very good cooks, um, and so there's four of us in our in our suite. So they usually handle the cooking, and we'll usually handle um, you know cleaning and and usually buying it. So uh, I don't have very good cooking skills, but I think I biggest thing uh, I, we watched it recently finished about a month ago was game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, we, we kind of binged that and that wasn't really, really during quarantine, but uh, I binged that. And that was, I mean, that and entourage are my, the best two shows. I think for me, uh, it was, just, it was so good. Like after, after we finished practice every day, we'd be, be all just talking on the locker. Like we're so excited just to go back and like, watch <laughs> game of Thrones. So, um, probably just that, yeah. I guess I watch a lot more shows than I used to. So, how long did that take you to binge? Because I know that's uh, that's a long series if you're going from start to finish, man. Yeah, I want to say we started it probably mid September and finished it at the end of like November, so like two and a half months. Because we were only watching 
you know, one, maybe two episodes every night because they're pretty long and, yeah. um, you know, we're a little bit busy here. Just so we kind of squeeze it in the end, at the end of the night before we head to bed. Mm-hmm. Right on. Well, that's good to hear. I know that uh, a friend of yours is actually doing a, we just had him on the show last week, Jack Rathbone, to talk about what he's doing. He's got the two week quarantine right now. Uh, in Vancouver, and what he was talking about was he's ordering a lot of sushi. I guess that's his favorite food, um, and he's stuck in quarantine for two weeks. So literally, he's just getting food delivered to the door. Uh, if you were to be stuck in quarantine for two weeks, what would be the one thing that you'd be falling into if you're doing your skip the dishes or Uber Eats orders? What would be the go-to food for you? Do you think? Well, I think it depends. If I was um, in Vancouver, like Bones is, and you know, had a little bit more money in my bank account like he does, I'd probably be getting, you know, some, some fine sushi because um, I like sushi as well. We both get it a lot when we're home. Yeah. Um, but if I'm in, you know, because obviously Vancouver's known for their seafood, so I'd probably say if I was in Vancouver, sushi, if I'm home, um, probably just, just Chipotle because there isn't one on campus. It's a, a, you can ride your bike or scooter there. It's, it's like probably about a, 20 30 minute walk but we don't eat it much so when we do it it kind of hits different so yeah i'd probably go with chipotle all right well one of the other things that he brought up last week was your nickname dunzo i'm wondering mm-hmm. if you can give us a backstory on that or maybe not <laughs> yeah no it's honestly i never really had a nickname growing up maybe some people call me like mac or a bomb and then um my freshman year of high school uh a senior on the team just said like yeah, uh, just said like Dunzo one time, and everyone kind of looked at him, and they're like, "What?" And he was like, "Yeah, like McDonough, like Dunna, like Dunzo." Okay, and it just kind of stuck. And ever since then, um, you know, throughout you know all the levels, everyone's kind of called me Dunzo. So uh, yeah, I, I like it. I, I think it's good. It's kind of unique. And um, but yeah, everyone kind of calls me that now. Bonesy didn't start calling me that till recently because he knew me from first grade, so he always just called me Aiden. But now I think he kind of caught on. So. And I was curious, looking at the rest of your roster, I'm wondering, is, is there a nickname for a guy named Gunner Wolf? What is, that is quite the name I saw on the roster the other day. <laughs> yeah, I call him Gunner, um, but some of the guys call him Wolfie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, his buddies from, you have like two or three guys that went to high school with him, and they call him Wolfie sometimes, I think. But yeah, I call him Gunner. Um, I've heard like Wolfman. <laughs> but, no, I, I just kind of keep it with Gunner, right? Yeah, he's a good guy, so we kind of make the mess with him a little bit. Awesome. And then uh, looking at the rest of your roster, I found it kind of interesting. Like Looking at the forward group, you kind of touched on it last time we talked that this team might just be a little bit more of a skilled, smaller team, I guess. But it seems like uh, your line, they just strapped all the big fellas together. Like You guys are all over six foot, some big bodies. Uh, is How did that kind of come through? I mean, it seems like everyone else is under six foot, uh, but all the big boys just play on one line together with you guys. I know, and it's funny, the, the other line, there's another line there with all guys that are, like, under 5'10". Um, <laughs> yeah. But so, I, I honestly, I don't really know. I mean, uh, I played with Matt Demelis, uh at the end of the year last year for a bit. Um, and I, you know, he's a really good player, really skilled, has unreal hands, and um, he's a great passer, and we had some chemistry. And then um, Riley Hughes, who's my roommate, um, I never played with him last year, but um, we skated, like, every day together in the summer and trained together, so... I don't know, maybe the coaches just kind of thought that we have some chemistry and um, they kind of put us together at the beginning of training camp and we've done pretty well so far in practices and I thought we played pretty well in the games last weekend. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're all um, – I was over six foot, but I don't think we're the most physical guys. I think uh, I'm the heaviest of the three. They're both pretty pretty skinny. Um, but, no, I, I think it just kind of worked out like that. You know, our team, you know, we're not going to be physically – 
imposing, but we're going to skate on you. We're going to get in your face. We're going to back check. We're going to pressure the puck. Um, so I guess the you know the weight doesn't really matter as much. More about kind of having good sticks and details and things like that. Yeah, definitely. And Riley, a little bit of a connection to BC as well. I uh, played in the BCHL with Victoria. Have you talked much about uh, the the city, uh, Victoria, maybe the province of BC with him at all? Yeah, almost too much. I mean, his. <laughs> so I live with four guys, um, or three other guys. So it's Jaden Strubel who's from here, uh, Jeremy Bouchler is from Montreal, and Riley Hughes. And Riley and Jeremy played together in Victoria. Mm-hmm. So really pretty much all we hear is Victoria stories and Vic and this and that and Vic and BC. And, um, yeah, I mean, they talk about Vic all the time. Um, you know, they, they love it there. They had an unbelievable experience. They were both only there for one year and, and played with a really good team with, like, Newhook and Alex Campbell and Carter Berger and stuff like that. So they talk about that all the time. Um, but they have nothing but good things to say about you know, BC and the league and, you know, British Columbia, Vancouver, that whole area. They love it, so. Yeah, most definitely. It's uh, I don't have much bad to say about it as well. Aside from, I think Victoria's got too many bike lanes, but it seems like that might be something you would actually be into. <laughs> yeah, I know, they didn't mention how many of them were riding their bike around, so. <laughs> right on. Well, um, going into this weekend now and moving into this, what is it like for you guys to kind of get a big matchup now against Providence? I mean, you mentioned it. They're one of the stronger teams in the NCAA, currently ranked 19th, and this is going to be a real test for you guys. So what are you guys kind of looking forward to this weekend, you know, as a team? Yeah, I think it's similar to last weekend. Merrimack was really physical, and, and Providence is really physical as well. I think Providence might be a little bit more skilled, um, and they can make a lot of plays, and their power play is really good. So I think it's just kind of executing everything we did last weekend, but just up a notch. Everything, the intensity, our speed, our um, execution, you know, our power play, everything is going to be a bit amplified. Uh, and it's, it's big by hockey, so, you know, the freshmen are going to be kind of exposed pretty early on to what, you know, hockey East is all about and how every weekend is a battle. And, um, you know, last year we had really good games with them, and, you know, they're not easy to play against. And I think it'll be a huge test for us because, you know, we are a young team, and, um, we are kind of still growing, but I think it'll be big, you know, to be able to play the way we did last weekend. And if we can, you know, repeat that, you know, obviously, you know, not expecting to score that many goals, but just, you know, come out two weeks in a row with two really good performances and not get complacent. That would kind of show a lot about, you know, our leadership in our team this year. Yeah, and I know something we talked about, I think, right before we actually started recording was, uh, you know, not having fans in the stands. That's something that you guys are just... You know, what you have over there at the Matthews Arena is just incredible to see with Northeastern and what they're able to do. So I'm I'm curious, what's it been like for you guys to have that first game? And I know that was your first one on Saturday against Merrimack, but you mentioned uh, some cutouts in the stands. Maybe makes it feel a little bit more at home. Yeah, yeah, we do. Have, we have a good amount of cutouts, and I think all the teams around the league do. And um, Obviously, our, our video screen at our rink spreads pretty much the whole neutral zone, so we have a really big video board, which, um, you know, kind of, blares music and shows replays and things like that so that really helps i think just um you know fill the rink a little bit because it takes up so much space but um yeah i didn't really notice the no fans other than you know warm-ups and you know in between periods stuff like that but other than that you know i think when you're out there and just playing and obviously people you know nowadays are dealing with so much that the fact that we're able to go play hockey against you know, other teams is, is just great. We're really grateful for that. So you're not really too worried about the fans. Yeah, most definitely. Exactly. And like you said, I think off air, like once you're actually playing, you, you don't really notice it as much because you're kind of focused on actually playing hockey, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of the, the TV timeouts and the pauses and things like that where you kind of take a step away that <laughs> you kind of notice it. I guess the biggest thing I don't notice are I, I miss would probably be our band. We have an unreal mm-hmm. band that plays, you know, a bunch of songs that they like, it's tradition and things like that and they're not there and, 
Um, you know, I definitely miss hearing the band every time we hop on the ice, but you know, hopefully they'll be back soon. Most definitely. And you're in an interesting spot, I think, if you look at it from the Canucks organization now, because you're one of the only uh, Canucks prospects and draft picks that's actually playing in the NCAA. Uh, I'm wondering, like, how much are you dealing with a guy like Chris Higgins or Ryan Johnson right now? Um, yeah, I heard from both of them um, throughout the fall a uh, pretty good amount, just kind of keeping up and, you know, like everyone was in such different situations, you know, they were just kind of checking in to see what mine was because we weren't playing at the time, just seeing if I have access to training and, mm-hmm. and skating and stuff, which I did, and because they, they said some of their guys don't even aren't able to do that right now, and um, just kind of making sure everything's going well and just kind of talking about you know, this year, and um, I heard from RJ probably like a week before we played, and then I heard from um, Chris Higgins like right after my game, he just shot me a text this weekend just to say how to feel to get out there, and just kind of a quick chit-chat, but, um, you know, like I said before, I think they do a really good job of giving me space and allowing me to be coached and developed by my coaches here, and then also just kind of giving me some pointers. Um, you know, I think they don't want to be in my ear too much and telling me about this and that and just you know, kind of filling my brain up with too much and kind of just letting me play. And uh, I think they trust my coaches here at Northeastern, but it's still like it's nice to hear from them. Uh, just kind of hear, you know, just get checked in on. That's always great to feel like you're wanted. So I think they do a really good job with that. And, um, you know, I think I have a good connection with both of those guys. So, mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. That's good to hear that, uh, that they're doing a good job at their jobs as well. Um, <laughs> as we're kind of, as we're kind of moving forward now, I know that, you know, it's, it's great for you to have an awesome start to the season. You got the four points in your first two games. Uh, I'm wondering, like, how much difference is there in your confidence coming in as a freshman than there is this year? Because last year, I mean, you got an opportunity to play on a great line with Tyler Madden. You got that good spot on the power play. But now that Tyler Madden's gone, you're one of the guys that's going to have to drive that line a lot more. You're going to be a guy who's even more featured on the power play. Like, what's your confidence level at right now compared to, say, maybe two games in last year? Yeah, I think it's just a little bit different of a mindset. I think, um, you know, the mindset, because I feel prepared and confident that I've done the work um, and that I've done it before and um, expect more of myself. But, uh, yeah, I just even, you know, I didn't I really thought about it, but even just thinking back last year, um, you know, just my first, like, two games, I was just thinking, don't mess up. <laughs> you know, I was just, my mindset wasn't to, to score or, you know, didn't bring the puck to the net. It was pretty much just don't mess up, get it in deep and, and just kind of play conservative, I guess, just because you're nervous and, you know, you're getting used to college hockey. It's such a bit, you know, different different game than what I'm used to. And I think now I, I'm just um, a little bit more, I wouldn't say harder on myself, but just more expecting and um, just prepared to be able to contribute. And uh, I want to have an impact every single night. And I think last year it took me a while to realize that I can have an impact every night. And I, I didn't have an impact every night because I was a little bit inconsistent. But now it's, even if I don't score, I think, um, you know, no, I can make an impact every single time I'm on the ice, and uh, I expect to do that. It's more kind of expecting yeah. to do well, opposed to last year was kind of hoping. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I'm wondering if does that. Do you think that switch kind of flipped? Maybe at the bean pot, like that feels like a time where I feel like you like you had to be nervous. It's something you grew up wanting to do, and then you come out and have the performance like you did. And not only the bean pot final, but the whole tournament. Like, do you think after that, that's where the flip, like where the switch kind of flipped there a little bit? It could have. You know, I mean, I think. Yeah, anytime you, you really the only way to get confidence is, is from you know doing the uh, doing things right right over and over again and then you get the confidence like you prepare to do it so I think um, that being pot definitely did give me confidence but I think in that whole game I just kind of was like I blocked out pretty much like I wasn't really thinking or doing anything I was just kind of playing um, and I think sometimes in, in those big games like that if I'm if I'm able to get to that you know kind of just playing mindset and not really thinking that 
Um, you know, I've found some success before in, in big games. and um, But, yeah, I think it definitely has helped for sure. I think knowing that I've been able to been able to have success on a big stage kind of is like, okay, well, if I can do it in front of all those people or all those that's such a big stage I can do it any night in every practice, you know. Um, but so, yeah, I think it definitely did help. But I, I wouldn't say that was, like, the one defining moment. I think it's just kind of a culmination of hard work, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, something else where you guys are seeing a lot of success is on that power play unit. Obviously, Merrimack, you guys had quite a few power play goals. Uh, it's a different look for you guys, but how do you feel about the unit this year? Yeah, I think it's it's a really good look. I mean, everyone – is really skilled. I think uh, a little bit more about this year. We have a couple more shooters. Uh, Gunnar Fontaine is a, is a shooter. Sam Colangelo, when he's not at World Juniors, is a shooter. Zach Solo is obviously a shooter. We can pass. Jordan Harris worked a ton on his shots, so and he can really shoot it too. Um, and then obviously, I like to shoot. So I think we have a little bit more of a shooting threat from anywhere, which um, I think is definitely an advantage, right? Because anytime you can pound the puck on the net, that's kind of what we're looking to do. But I think we have just a lot of confidence as a group, and um, we only have one new guy, and everyone else is, has been on, on that unit or you know our, our unit, and so we both kind of both units do have pretty much the same goals and kind of the same system. So we kind of really feel comfortable with each other, and um, you know I think it just gives us so much options. Like I, I know personally that I pretty much know what I'm doing before I get the puck, and then. When I get the pockets, it's option A, B, or C, and one one of them's always open. And so it's kind of you put some skilled players in that position, and they're going to be able to make plays. And um, I found a little bit against Merrimack that I was covered a lot, which uh, I wasn't really used to last year. Um, so maybe they are kind of expecting me to shoot a lot, so um, which is fine because you know I'm fine passing the puck and having somebody else score. So, um, but yeah, I, I think we had a good weekend last weekend. And, um, Providence kills really hard, so that'll be another big test and fair powerful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's it's going to be exciting times, and it's just you know, like even just looking at it, man, like it must just feel good for you guys to have a season just running, right? Like it's it's got to just be such a good feeling. Yeah, no, it feels like um, there's a sense of normalcy in the world, I guess, with yeah. us just being able to get into our you know weekly routine and weekend routine, and um, and yeah, just being in the locker and pregame and warm ups, everything like that. Yeah, it was it was just you know really helpful for us so mm-hmm. and i guess like the final thing i wanted to kind of ask about is you know talking about going back to a normal world a little bit uh one of the exciting things and i'm sure it's something that'll be marked on your calendar once the data is set eventually uh but for canucks prospects camp next year i mean obviously it would have been nice to see you this year but there's no camp obviously um but is that something that you kind of are looking forward to next season yeah yeah i mean um you know, it's obviously pretty far away, and I think they're kind of worried about getting their actual season started before they start to think about the prospects camp. But uh, whenever we get word, uh, whenever that may be, and uh, when we receive word, I think that'll be something to look forward to for sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, when that time comes, I'll be really excited to hopefully go out there and, you know, get out to Vancouver again and, you know, compete and kind of judge myself up against those guys once again. So um, I'm really excited for whatever that, that time is. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, uh, we'll let you go here. Wish you a Merry Christmas, and hopefully you get a chance to see the family sometime over. I know you guys, you mentioned you got a game on the 26th, but hopefully you can see them soon. Uh, and uh, best of luck as the season goes on here. I'm sure we'll chat again soon, Aiden. Yeah, no, definitely. appreciate it. Thanks for having me on again. And a huge thank you to all of our guests and all of our sponsors. If you're still listening at this point in the episode, we've got to give you major props because those were a lot of interviews to listen to. So maybe you skipped to the end, maybe you didn't, maybe you listened to all of it. That's fantastic. Regardless, thank you so much for listening to the Canucks Conversation podcast in advance, but we still have some stuff to talk about. So Chris, why don't you close it out with a little prospect report here? 
Sure, quick prospects report. We'll wrap up. Just a quick little thing for uh, World Juniors as the next time we'll be recording will be the ones the World Juniors have already commenced. So let's get into it. Uh, Arvid Kosmar looking like the second-line center for Sweden right now. That's exciting news, um, even though there's been some COVID concerns and apparently some COVID concerns around his team and potentially him as well. But uh, he's been, I think, separated from the team for a little bit. He's back to practicing with them now, so that's good news. Um, so that uh, that's going to be a situation that I really am going to be interested in following because I think that the Cosmar hype is going to be kind of at its peak after this World Juniors. I think that we're going to see a good two-way player for Sweden who's going to be playing in kind of all situations, penalty kill, power play, uh, and five-on-five is going to be very effective. And I think the coaching staff is going to really grow to play him a lot throughout this tournament. So, yeah, get all aboard the Cosmar train right now. And you know what? I don't have anything to say about Vasily Podkolzin. He's going to be the best player at this World Junior Championship. He's going to be stronger than every single player in this tournament. And I really think he's going to be absolutely dominant in every single game. So all you folks that just look at his stats on Elite Prospects, get ready to actually watch some Vasily Podkolzin and see how he changes a hockey game. That's all I'm going to do for my prospects report. Can I talk about goaltenders? No, I'm just kidding. We don't need to talk about any more prospect goaltenders. I think we're all done here. This was a fun episode, Chris. We've had some very good conversations. Wanted to wish everybody a Merry Christmas because the next time you hear us, we're going to be recording on Christmas night on the 25th, but it won't be out till Boxing Day. So we're just going to wish you all a Merry Christmas to everybody who celebrates it in advance. Uh, I think we're about done here, Chris. I'm not as great as you are at hosting, but uh, this was a fun one. So I think I'll close it out there. For Chris Faber, my name is David Quadrell, and you've been listening to The Canucks Conversation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 